control Shoveling dirt in every hole Predators to condemn your soul Watching you and watching me We're all connected but separated Misunderstood and so frustrated A million armies of one have invaded Watching you and watching me
the views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio, Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. Atop the mountains of British Columbia, to you listening around the world, this is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. You can follow us on our website. SpacedOutRadio.com on iTunes and TuneIn. Follow Dave on Twitter at SpacedOutRadio.com on Facebook at SpacedOutRadioShow or on our YouTube channel SpacedOutRadioShow. Playing with Bigfoot and aliens again. The password is. Okay, seriously, what's with the points? Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. <laughs> seriously, Dave? Really? Bye-bye. Captain, take your seat on my left. It's time for takeoff. Good evening. 
evening and welcome to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott, and it's good to have you along for the ride wherever you are on this great planet we like to call Earth. I'm battling a little bit of a cold tonight, so if you hear me hit the mute button, well, it's because old Davey's got a cough here. That's because I live right here in the Uncle Jimbo's cabin, right here in the great white north, where it is cold, frigid, snowy, and of course, even the bears are keeping quiet, keeping it warm. We are live on this Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, if you're on the East Coast or over in Australia. Let's welcome in everyone listening in on SpaceOutRadio.com, on Spreaker, on the United Public Radio Network, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio. As we do this thing every night of the week, rocking in and out of every show, thanks to our resident guitar god, Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy. Yes, Bumblefoot is the official sound of SOR. You can also follow me on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, I can be followed at Dave Scott, S O R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes, and of course, our website is spacedoutradio.com. Have you signed up for the S O R Space Travelers Club yet? No? It's time. It's five bucks a month. With that, your name gets entered into private group interviews, private monthly draws, and so much more. I also want to mention, if you want to take part in this show, you have to sign into one of the chat rooms because we rarely take callers around here. Head on over to Revolution Radio, head over to Spreaker, the UPRN chat room, and on Facebook at the SOR Space Travelers Club. Or if you're on Twitter, just go to hashtag Spaced Out Radio, and I'll get to your questions in there as well. While you're visiting our website, you can read up on my latest blog, check up on Eric Markham's SOR Spacewire for your latest and weird news, or if you have a weird experience you just can't explain, how about filling out an SOR Sightlines report? Researcher Mike Schmidt is ready to find out what's going on with you. We want to thank everyone listening in live in Las Vegas, right there in Sin City, Renegade Talk Radio. Yes, we are your nighttime crew in my favorite city in the world. We want to thank everyone listening in on the United Public Radio Network live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us. And remember, if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. It may be Tuesday for us here on the West Coast, but it's Wednesday afternoon for our guest tonight as we have one of the top psychic and intuitive people from Australia joining us tonight. It's a real pleasure to introduce Heidi Jane. Intuitiveness is believed by many to be a natural phenomena that every human being has. Most of us either forget we have the ability due to the high pressures of life and science that tells us it's really non-existent for the most part. But if everybody does have this ability... Why are so many closed off to it? And can we reopen this gift? Heidi's a special person. Yes, she is. She's a number one best-selling author. Are you an evolutionary advantage? I think we all are, or we try to be. She's also placed in the top three in Australia's reality show in 2011, The One. Search for Australia's most gifted psychic. No matter if you've heard of Heidi or not on this side of the pond, she is a tireless worker to help people and to get the message out that pushing yourself can be rewarding. 
Heidi is the founder of the International Institute of Advanced Intuition, where she teaches cutting-edge transformational content, including the Diploma of Intuitive Dynamics. There's a word I don't use enough. Dynamics. Strong word. Heidi, welcome to Spaced Out Radio all the way from Sydney, Australia. Good to have you with us. How's the heat going there for you? Well, thank you so much. What a pleasure it is to be here. It is stifling. We actually have a heat wave in Sydney at the moment. So um, I know that you were talking about how cold you are, but we topped, I think it was 35 degrees at um, 12 o'clock at night the other night. So that was a new record for us. (laughs) So it's been very uncomfortable here, I can tell you. And I've been wishing that I was in Canada, to be honest. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's been hovering around zero Celsius here, and I can tell you it's like a heat wave. Just two weeks ago, it was down into the minus 20s, minus 30s here, and I'll tell you, that's cold. That's cold. You you know, you don't know, unless you've been in that temperature, you have no clue how warm minus 17 is. Well, interesting that you say that because I actually grew up in Canada. So I actually Ooh. have been in that. Yes. You're one of us. You're one of us. Where did I you... am one of you. I if you if you saw me right now, I'm actually fist pumping. You know, the old <laughs> Canadian Yes, yes. I want to grab my my Canadian flag right behind me and wrap it around me to keep me warm now. How long so, yeah, did- I think I think when we were there, just just when we left, just before we left in the early eighties, um, it got to a record low in Calgary, and I think it was minus fifty five degrees Celsius with a wind chill factor of I think it was minus sixty five. So I I I remember that I remember being snowed into the house. I remember having the schools closed for months at a time because nobody could get to them and it was too cold to go outside Mm -hmm. but I don't have a bad memory of that I actually loved it I really really enjoyed growing up in Canada so Mm -hmm. now I'm in the complete extreme opposite (laughs) living in Australia no kidding well we all got to send those positive vibes down because we have a lot of Australian people who actually listen to us. That's why I was so excited yes. about getting you on the show. And, you know, one of uh, the guys who listens, Steve, he's like on Facebook the other day, he said, you know, start sending your prayers. The forest fires are starting and it's way early yes. this year. So yeah, we got to do that. We definitely mm-hmm. have to do that. And, you know, my wife, speaking of minus 55, my wife actually was born and raised in the Yukon. And the coldest, wow. the coldest she ever got was minus fifty seven, and you don't dare venture out at minus fifty seven. Everything no. is shut down. You just yes. hope your heat doesn't quit on you, because exactly. that, that that would suck. <laughs> you know that would be real, real bad news in that type of weather, especially when you're at twenty two hours a day in darkness at that time of year. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's incredible. So, you know, but I I see it as a real gift. You know, I spent eight years in Canada from the age of four to my early teens. And um, so my heart was in Canada for a very long time. I am Australian, but um, then we moved back here and um, very much uh, grounded and find my roots here in Australia because it is like Canada. It's, It's interesting because what I find is Canadians and Australians are very similar culturally and our sense of humor and um, the way that we view the world. So it's it's actually really nice. Um, 
but I, you know, I, I feel like I'm blessed to have been able to experience both sides of the scale. And certainly now in Australia, it's, it's an amazing place to be. It's an amazing place to be because we're far enough away from everything to kind of be a little bit buffered um, mm-hmm. from, from what goes on in the world, the negativity right. that goes on in the world. But at the same time, um, you know, we have it, – it's kind of like a, a two-edged sword. You know, we, we're far away from everything, but that's a good thing at the same time. So um, when people tend to come to Australia, they tend to want to stay here. <laughs> They're like, oh my god, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go home. I don't, you know, this is amazing. It's like a paradise, and in fact, you know, it's it's a pretty amazing place to be. So, feeling very blessed. Mm-hmm. Well, if I ever need an Aussie fix, I actually Absolutely. just I just go over to Whistler because Whistler <laughs> because they're all Australians literally, working there. <laughs> literally, it's true. If you go look at Whistler, British Columbia, it's, and it's a famous ski mountain. If you've never heard of it. World class, beautiful, beautiful place, and literally, it's four to one Australians everywhere yes. there, and it yes. is awesome. It really is awesome. Anyways, and, and that's cool. my point. You know, Australians and Canadians very similar. We get on really well. We have um, very similar points of view. So it's all in go. the Commonwealth. All in it the is. Commonwealth. <laughs> That's right. I want to thank you for taking the time because I know it's uh, it, it's actually a good time for you, for us it here is. in North America. We're all getting ready for bed, getting cozied up while you're about to go drink a Mai Tai in about three hours after this because you're going to deserve one. You yes, know. absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, it's Australia Day here tomorrow. So it's a public holiday here tomorrow. So yes, there will be a lot of um, alcohol, not necessarily from me, but being consumed across the board tonight, I can assure you. <laughs> well, what's, what's the occasion tomorrow? Uh, Australia Day. Oh, it's, nice. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite a contentious day. Um, It it actually marks when um, the white settlers came into Australia. So, of course, the indigenous population aren't so keen to be celebrating that. And and so, there's a big push in Australia to actually change the day to another day um, so that we can um, incorporate and celebrate the indigenous community as well as the the white community or the the English community and when it settled in Australia. So it can it's a bit of a contentious um day sometimes, but overall um you know, we do tend to like to hang out at the beach <laughs> and yes. sit in the sun and yeah, just play cricket and you sort of be outside and, and spending time with our family and friends. So. Yes, until the great white sharks come swimming by. Yeah, well, there is that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's why I don't go with the ocean. Okay? I'm a meal. Not an appetizer. I'm a meal. And that's what scares me about going to Australia is I know I'm going to be like, oh, the beaches. Oh, I got to check this out. And then all of a sudden, Jaws Jr. decides to take a bite of old Davey, you know, and, you know, there goes Space Out Radio. It's dead. It's over. There's a strategy, though, right? The, well, this is what I've always taught my children. Just make sure somebody else is further out the back than you are. So we call that shark bait. So as long as there's not a shark bait Good idea. further out Good than idea. you. And they're like, yeah, mom. Good 
good advice. We laugh about it. But yes, no, we have had quite a number, particularly on the East Coast, um, the North Coast of New South Wales, um, where Sydney is located. We've had quite a number of great white shark attacks in recent months. So yes, it definitely has amped up. And I'm a little bit like you. I mean, even though I've spent um, most of my <laughs> life around water, it's still, you know, you just have to have a small piece of seaweed brush your leg and it, you could be walking on water, I tell you. <laughs> That's what I'm like. <laughs> yes, it's nothing it's like, like the old Fort Saskatchewan yeah. River, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, the old Fort Saskatchewan <laughs> River going straight down. Anyhow, yes. we actually brought you in here to talk, uh, yes. you know, instead of the tourism side of getting an arm gnawed off by, by Jaws because he's hungry. Yes. Or, or boxed by a kangaroo in the middle of the forest or something. Um, I would love to talk to you about the intuitive side of everybody because that's probably one of your biggest parts of your life is your intuition. And at what point in your life did you start to notice that you were having these, let's just call it a phenomena, happening okay. to you? Did it start as a child or did you wake up to it? Um, well, that's a bit of both, if, if I'm honest. Um, so I remember as a child, um, being frightened all the time, like I was always afraid and I didn't realize that not everybody else could see what I could see or hear what I could hear or feel what I could feel. So that was, um, in a way, it was a little bit traumatic for me as a child. Um, and, you know, my family weren't and, and really aren't still very tuned into this kind of thing, into this phenomenon. And so I felt very much isolated, very much alone and didn't want to um, seem weird or strange or different. Like most children, you know, they, we don't want to stand out. We want to kind of go with the crowd and fit in and, and you don't want to be singled out. So yes, to answer the first part of your question, I, I do know absolutely that I was born with my, um, senses, I, I would say more open than other people. Um, and, as a consequence of the the trauma that I continued to experience during my childhood, um, I slowly shut that down. And so I really distanced myself from anything to do with, I guess, the supernatural, the paranormal, what I was feeling from other people. Um, really, in my teenage years, I just did not want to know anything about it at all. And uh, it was kind of in the back of my mind, but I just would never allow it to kind of come forward. And, and if I, if I picked up information, or if I saw a dead person standing there, I would just dissociate from that experience, I guess is the best way that you could, could explain it. And, um, and so that was a very challenging time for me to not have um, a parent or a, a sibling or an adult around me to say, you know what, you know, what you're experiencing is different for sure, but there's nothing wrong with you or it's not abnormal. Let me support you. Let me help you. Let me guide you with that. 
Um, so that was really, I guess, uh, a very strong driver for me um, as an adult then, you know, looking forward to want to be able to support people who have may have had similar experiences to me in the past and didn't feel safe to speak to anybody about it, didn't really have the tools to be able to understand what was going on for them and really didn't feel supported. Um, and so, you know, again, that was a, that was a really a big driver for me to do the work that I do now professionally. Um, but just going back to, to when I was in my late teens, I had, uh, you know, I finished school and I knew that I wanted to help people. And so I started nursing um, straight out of school back then. <laughs> yes, it was back then. Um, you know, that's kind of what girls did. If you wanted to help people, you became a nurse. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll become a nurse. And and so I did. And, and I ended up on a palliative care ward. And for me, with my sensitivities, because not only do I have um, – a natural uh, predisposition and propensity for um, heightened sensitivity in terms of sight, hearing and feeling, but also I am what I term an empath. So I can feel what other people are feeling. I can often finish words and all of that kind of thing. So it's not like I'm, I'm sympathizing with another human being. It's like I become that human being. So I merge actually with that person or an environment or an animal, you know, um, depending on where I am, what I'm doing. But I didn't understand what was happening then. And so as a palliative care nurse, um, and I was on night duty, a little bit like you, but I was on night duty. Um, and if anybody has, has kind of done any type of nursing um, or medical work, you, you would probably know that that is the prime time for people to pass away. So um, kind of four or five o'clock in the morning tends to be the prime time for, for people to cross over. And so I was going through all of these experiences where I was seeing people's souls leaving their, and consciousness leaving their bodies. I was experiencing, and I, this will never kind of leave me, it was one of those very impactful moments when I was sitting with a, um, a woman who, who was in the process of dying and, you know, she didn't want to be suctioned and she, she was, she had made up her mind that it was time for her to go. So I just simply sat with her because it was very early in the morning and we were waiting for her family to come and I just didn't want her to be by herself in this moment. So I sat down with her um, beside her bed and I held her hand and, you know, I'm even getting emotional talking about it now. But what happened in that moment was I experienced her death as if it was my death. I experienced the feeling or the sensation of her consciousness and her soul letting go from the physical plane, from her body and moving forward, moving on. And to say that was... Um, confronting <laughs> for me is an understatement it was uh it was a life-changing moment that's for sure and I thought this isn't normal 
in terms of because I was talking to the other nurses, like, has this ever happened to you? And they're like, I don't know. I don't really know what you're talking about. They didn't really have a – they couldn't relate to my to my experience. And so I thought that there really is something going on here that I really need to explore. And, and I, I'm not going to be able to find it um, in the mainstream medical profession and I'm not going to be able to find it necessarily in a library where I spent a lot of time as a child researching ghost hunting books and paranormal books and anything I could get my hands on to give me some kind of understanding about what was going on for me but it all kind of fell very flat because I didn't have I wasn't having the experiences like the the mediums in the books and and the haunted houses etc that that the books were describing so yeah it was interesting to me but I didn't you know I, I couldn't personally relate to it and so I guess you know from that moment on um, I then, you know, got married, had my children, and and I really realised that I did not want to go back into nursing, into mainstream medical, and that that really did start my pursuit of trying to understand not only what was happening for me, but both of my children are very um, skilled, and and I needed to understand how to deal with them as well. So it was kind of like a triple whammy. You know, I needed to figure it out for myself and I needed to figure it out for my children because I did not want them to grow up feeling the way that I did. Like in a way, some type of pariah that there was something wrong with me. You know what? I want to talk to you about your children, if you don't mind, in regards to that. Because I have three children. Um, Mm -hmm. From my first marriage, I have an 18-year-old daughter who is has been intuitive since about a year and a half, two years old, yeah. and, we, and we recognized it early. My stepdaughter, who is 14 or almost 14, she has um, the ability to see things at times, and mm-hmm. since we moved north into British Columbia, she actually uh, has fairies around her, mm-hmm. and... That's a new experience, but she is, she likes it. And then yeah. we just, our little guy, because we're a blended family, uh, our little guy who's three, he's actually uh, starting to see now. And we've, we've caught him a couple of times. Uh, well, my wife has, I have not. But uh, she went and had a girls weekend up at her friend's house and brought the kids up there. And... My little guy was talking to, or described perfectly, the ghost that is in the upstairs bathroom of my friend's townhouse. Yes. And and he also uh, has seen a lot of energy, whether it's both spiritual or extraterrestrial, Mm -hmm. around our house as well. And my wife has caught him kind of zoning out and because she's empathic, because she can see, she can actually see what he's looking at. Mm-hmm. And, and when you, and the reason why I bring that up is a lot of parents out there want to shield their children from this. They want to, yes. you know, they, it's either they don't understand or, mm-hmm. or they think that I, I don't want my children to have what I have seen in the past because maybe it scared me or something yeah, along course. those lines. Mm-hmm. So as doing this professionally, when we're dealing with children, 
How important is it to give the child credence for what they are seeing? Oh, it's paramount. It's of the uh, paramount importance because you know we are coming at it as you so rightly put from our own experience and that is not the child's experience so it's really up to the adult to not taint or or color the child's experience with their own fears with their own lack of information with their own perhaps ignorance really um and and really allow the child or the children to be fully self-expressed in this. Now, there are definitely ways to to manage it if it gets too much. So, I'm not really one for just kind of throwing the doors open and saying, sure, you know, whatever spirit or ET is around, they can come on in. I really do not um, agree with that at all. So, there's definitely boundaries that need to be put into place. Yet at the same time, we have to understand that children are still connected to the spiritual realms. So, they have not the full, the incarnation process um, begins at around age nine and it finishes actually at age 21, to be honest. Um, But before that time, children do not see the difference between you, me, or their grandpa who passed away 10 years ago standing at the end of their bed every night saying goodnight to them. They don't see the difference. It is only us who then goes, oh, oh, that's, oh, no, you know, you shouldn't be seeing that or you shouldn't be saying that or people will think you're strange. Don't say that to anybody outside of the family. Or So rather than it being kind of normalized and accepted and um, supported and um, nurtured and nourished, it's in a way the children unconsciously feel, oh, there's something a little bit wrong. And so they, they do sh- tend to shut themselves down. Um, which is, I find very sad. And then, you know, by most, it used to be by age 12. Now I'd say by age nine or 10, most children, and also with the increase in technology, because it does actually, um, negatively affect the intuitive pathways, um, and, and your sensitivities, the like iPads, computers, that kind of thing, it does actually deaden the soul force. So, um, the more, the less that children are exposed to that when they're young, um, the more actually open they will be at, at moving forward. And they, they can be taught tools. Like I was saying before, they can be taught tools of how to manage it and how to have a boundary and how to say, no, that's not acceptable, you know. Um, and this is absolutely what I have taught both of my children. I mean, they are older, kind of similar to you. I have a blended family as well. My own children are 22 and my son's going to turn 19 in a few days. And then my I have a 15-year-old stepdaughter and a 12-year-old stepson. So, you know, they're all very tuned in, very highly sensitive. And it's very much normalized in our family. So, we laugh about it in a way and we we kind of 
can turn it into party tricks. And I remember that my, you know, we used to go camping a lot when the children were little and, and my son's friends would come up to me and say, do that trick, do that trick, do that thing that you do with Lockie, you know, do it, do it, because <laughs> they wanted to see it. And so rather than it being weird and scary and something that to be afraid of, it was very much um, – in, in terms of an open conversation and um, accepted in, in when the children were growing up. And so now they they kind of see other people who don't have that same level of acceptance. They It, it, it surprises them sometimes. They go, oh, 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 yeah, that's right. I've, I forgot that other people don't see the way, the world the way that we do. Um, and so, you know, that's a real gift, I believe, to, to be able to give to children. But isn't that the cruelty of society, whether it's mainstream schools, science, religion, you know, the neighbor next door? Because yeah. I, I can tell you this, my daughter, my oldest daughter, she unfortunately inherited her anxiety and depression from me. The one mm-hmm. gift I really didn't want to give her, but apparently she got it. And she was having a hard time in school about a year and a half ago. And I made the ultimate intuitive mistake. I actually asked her counselor one day if my daughter had ever talked to the counselor about seeing dead people. Mm -hmm. And the counselor, (laughs) the phone went absolutely silent. (laughs) And then the counselor says, oh, well, maybe we should talk about getting her on some medication because that's not yes. healthy. And I yes. said, and I said, no, not at all. I said, this is a family trait. And I said, maybe you need to go back to school and open up your mind a little bit to know that there is more than just medication out there for this and that it is not a psychosis problem. Absolutely. And, of course, the conversation was null and void there. But yeah, I bet. <laughs> we, but, but here's another story. When our middle child, when she was about seven or eight, and she was having frequent visits in our in her bedroom by the, the grandfatherly figure of the man who built our house, because we were only the second owner of our house back in our old town, and he would come in just to check on her and say mm. hello. Very nice yes. guy. Well, she actually started bragging at school that she had a ghost in her house and that she talks to a ghost. And it's so hard as a parent, Heidi, to mm. sit the child down and say, you can't discuss that at school because all of a sudden you get that, what, you don't believe me look, but I'm telling the mm. truth. Mm. And you've always told me to tell the truth and now you're telling me to hide things. Yes. You know, it, it, it's such a fine line that I don't think a lot of parents actually want to cross that line because it's easier to deny than it is to say to the child, well, there's only certain areas where you can speak about this. Well, I guess, you know, from my perspective, my whole intention was to build my children's um <sighs> I guess, confidence in themselves, self-esteem, for them to understand that it's okay if not everybody wants to agree with them and that they don't have to toe the party line to have friends. They don't have to change who they are to fit in 
to make other people feel more comfortable around them. And, and it's not in coming at it from an arrogant perspective. It's got nothing to do with better or worse. It's just difference. And it's like anything um, that human beings you know, are experiencing, we could map it across to, you know, sexuality or religious choices or anything like that. I think when you're grounded enough in yourself and you have, and that's why I was talking about, you have those supportive parents, you have that, you know, that ecosystem around the child to support them enough so that they know their own worth. And I'm sure I can guarantee that that's what you guys do for your children that they actually become in a way immune to the judgments of other people and so it's not necessarily um they don't own it they don't own other people's perspectives as their own they kind of go oh yeah that's I, I totally understand where you're coming from and I have a different experience. Let's go play, you know, like let's just get on with it. And so, I mean, I, I think my children were lucky enough. They had, um, my daughter went through 13 years of a Steiner school, which is a Waldorf system, I think in, in North America, Rudolf Steiner school. So, she was ab- they were encouraged to you know play with fairies and gnomes and nature spirits and undines and salamanders and sylphs and so that was her world and so that is so deeply grounded and embedded in her psyche and her soul force that that for her to not be fully expressed in that would be in a way breaking who she actually is and and interestingly my son went through um, into year six and he said to me, mum, now I want to go into the mainstream schooling system. And I was like, what? No. <laughs> you know, so I had to go through grieving around that and, and yet accept that that was his choice and he knew for the reason that he wanted to do that. And so, you know, he brought all of all that he had learned from that schooling system to be fully self-expressed and to see things past just the third dimensional material world and really um, meet people where they're at. And he brought that into the mainstream schooling system and he did not have a problem. And in fact, he excelled in the mainstream schooling system. So I think, you know, that all this to say is that if those, if the children are supported, and I totally understand that we don't want to put our, no parent wants to put their children into a position where they may be targeted or bullied or feel um, less than or strange or weird. I absolutely understand that. I know that from firsthand experience. But at the end, at the same time, isn't that really about um, owning, and certainly from my perspective, you know, the evolution of human consciousness is such that, you know, we need to own who we are and our abilities and our sensitivities and and just to touch on what you were saying before about your daughter and, and depression and anxiety, you know, that can be actually a consequence of not understanding sensitivity, of not understanding the information that is coming um, that is being received by the brain, by the central nervous system, by the physical body, not really being able to understand it and process it properly. And so it, it, it actually uh, transforms into something that is 
can be experienced as quite negative. Um, so there's a lot of things. Um, that's why I'm so passionate about helping people, not only with intuition, but people who uh, relate to themselves as being highly sensitive people or empaths. And because I know that there is a different way because I've done it myself and I, I'm not sitting here, you know, on a pedestal saying, well, I've got it all together and my life's perfect and, you know, you should listen to me because I can assure you it's not perfect. But at the same time, there is something within me that drives me forward to understand this is who I am to the very core of myself. I cannot, I, and I was talking with a client about this the other day, you know, she said, I'm not a good employee. And I said, no, neither am I. I said, to be honest, I have no idea what I would do for a job. If I had to go and get like a regularly paid job, I have no idea what I would do, probably counseling or psychology or something, but it would still be in the helping healing profession in some way. So for me, it's not about, well, this is the work that I bring to the world and then I go home and I'm a different person. It's this is, this is it. This is who I am. This is what I bring to this planet. And I feel like the more of us that can really engage in our true nature and really accept who we absolutely are rather than trying to mold or fit into what the collective consciousness or what the mainstream wants for us or, or expects us to be, the more of us that do that is kind of the hundred monk the hundredth monkey effect, you know, the more of us that do that, the more of us will be able to do that. And then we're going to be, you know, shifting human consciousness on the planet. And, you know, that's something that really excites me. I do. But have we a have few. to start at home, right? Sorry. Exactly. I do have a few questions from our audience, if you don't mind. Yes. All right. This one comes from Eric. He's all hot to trot on this one. He says, how does one know they're intuitive? And if they've lost it, how do they get it back? Okay. That's great. Great question. I, what I know to be true is that we are, are all capable of developing our intuitive skill set, right? So that includes uh, clairvoyance, which is clear sight, clear audience, which is clear hearing, clairsentience, which is clear feeling, and claircognizance, I know it's a mouthful, <laughs> which is clear knowing. So we all have the ability to develop one and or all of those, depending on you know, a, a number of different factors. The way I kind of look at it is, you know, we have different intelligences, we have different dominant um, sensory perceptions, like so some of us are very visual, some of us are very auditory, uh, like a, for example, a musician is highly auditory, you might not be very visual. And it's the same thing when we are looking at the intuitive skill set. So, for example, someone who is very visually led normally in their lives, they would probably be have a higher predisposition for clairvoyance. Now, um, all that to say, um, the first thing that I would uh, encourage the the listener is to focus in on what part or what what is their strength? What is their strong suit? How do they interact with the world? Are they very verbal? Are they very feeling? Are they very visual? And then that's going to start to give you clues on how you're receiving 
the dominant load of information. So that's how your brain is naturally processing information that you're receiving from around yourself, from the environment, from your higher self, etc. So that's the first part of it. Um, and then there are a number of steps to go through that you can begin to, again, turn on your intuition. The first one that I would say is that you you say yes to it. You want it. You want it to happen. Now, I don't mean that you want to be bombarded, but that you set a very clear and strong intention to have um, – perhaps maybe you set like a little test up for yourself. So you say, okay, well, I want to be shown a sign. I know people are obsessed with this kind of stuff. I want to be shown a sign that, you know, um, that my intuition is working. So, you know, perhaps you think of somebody, you can play the game of, of, well, it's, it's a little bit more like telepathy, but you think of somebody and then they call. And most people go, oh, what a coincidence, that's not a coincidence. I mean, if you haven't thought about somebody for 15 years and then all of a sudden they, you think about them and that day they call you or they bump into you, that is not a coincidence. That is the higher aspect of yourself tuning into the consciousness of that other person. And it, it's literally your consciousness readying you for that interaction. That's what's going on. And so we all have the ability to tune in at that level like everything though, I mean, you know, it, it does take some work. And I say to my students, if you want to run a marathon, you just, you don't go to the gym twice and then throw your hands up in the air and go, well, <laughs> that didn't work. You know, you need to have um, a support system. You need to kind of in a way have a program or, or a structure of how you want to move forward and develop yourself, how you're going to su support yourself in, in your endeavors. And then you move through it step by step. You know, um, some people I do know have had what is termed an, an awakening. And so they have a particular experience. It can be through trauma, it can be through an NDE, it can be through drug use, whatever it is. And they have almost all of their senses woken at once. Now, I don't recommend that at all because that can lead to um, what is considered to be mental illness because you, you don't have the ability to process it in a healthy way because it's not about seeing everything that is around us all the time. Quite frankly, I don't want to see everything that is around me all the time. <laughs> it's like, no, thank you. Um, there is a reason that we have filters on our, um, I guess, our, our sensory perceptions. There is a very good reason for it. So to learn uh, when to turn it on and when to turn it off, that's a really good one. And you know, there's lots of methodologies to be able to develop your intuition. But what I would suggest is meditation and really building a relationship with yourself. So you start to understand who you are and how you're interacting with the world and what I call is your shadow. So the things that often we don't like to look at about ourselves, the things we see in everybody else, but we don't like to own. Um, and I know that Sometimes that can can really come through in um, what I call the love and lighters. You know, it's all about love and joy and peace and bliss and butterflies and unicorns and 
and often those people are actually really disconnected from their humanity and from the experience of being a human being. So when I teach people to develop their intuition, I don't ask them to go out of their body. I do not ask them to connect with anything out of their body unless it is in the natural world already. And that is, I ask them to connect within themselves. You need to connect within yourself first and foremost, because what you are looking for is not external to you. It is internal. And so that is the only way that you will be able to access it is to actually go in. And the best way I know to do that is through meditation practices, things like journaling, things like really um, contemplating on yourself and who you are and and what gives you joy, what gives you pleasure, what, what are the things that you need to work on, perhaps there's relationships that are holding you back, things that are unhealthy. You've gotten, you know, maybe you're stuck in an attitude of victimization, you blame the world for everything. I mean, and you and really be honest with yourself and compassionate at the same time. Because the more we dissociate from the shadow aspect of ourself, the harder it is for us to really um, connect with our true intuitive skills. So I hope that has answered that question. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Let's get to Gyro's question in the Revolution Radio chat room. And she is saying, As I start to become what I was gifted with again, I've noticed that most people can't comprehend a word that I'm saying. Is that normal? Uh, it can be. It, and I guess what I would say about that is make sure you're grounded and embodied. You know, make sure that you're actually really present um, because I, I do know sometimes people when they they start to reactivate themselves, I guess you could say, they do disconnect from their bodies. They do disconnect from the physical world a little bit and they want to stay in their happy place. And so this can lead to a whole range of issues um, when they're having conversations, people don't understand what they're talking about, they can be really all over the place, they're forgetful. All of, so that could be one aspect to it. The other aspect is um, I really encourage people just to use normalized language. So if we use language that is difficult for others to understand, then it separates us from them again. And so they're going to kind of be going, what, what spirit guide? Like, what is she talking about? I don't understand all of that. So, you know, this is what I encourage my students to do as well is like use normal language, use accessible language, make it accessible to people because you don't want to be perceived like um, you're putting yourself on a pedestal and like you've got it all together and you're like this all-knowing oracle <laughs> and those people don't know anything. You know, that's not healthy at all. That's not what we're, you know, the intention of developing your intuition. It, it really should be again, about being accessible to everybody. I, I believe that we all have those abilities, like I was saying before. Um, but not everybody wants to develop it. Not every human being wants to do exactly the same thing. And that's okay. You know, the, that's fine. The, we don't, you don't have to prove anything in yourself. And you don't have to prove anything to other people. 
And I think sometimes, um, you know, students or uh, I guess people who are developing get a little bit caught up in that. They get so excited. They want to share it with the world. Um, but because they're getting so excited and, and maybe coming across a little bit strong, other people don't really understand. And so then they, they feel like um, they become defensive and, and then it can really start a very uncomfortable um, interaction like we'll prove it how can you prove that science doesn't science can't prove that that actually happens and then the person who's having these amazing experiences that perhaps they can't even verbalize themselves correctly you know feel like they need to defend those experiences so you know my advice for that is to until it's really embodied maybe don't share it with other people maybe just have that for yourself um, until you really embody it and really own it and it becomes second nature to you. So you, you literally, like what I was saying before about the children, you come across people who perhaps have a different perspective to you and you just go, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. So you don't feel like you need to defend. You don't feel like you need to prove anything. You absolutely create the space for them to have their own experience, perspective and opinion as you know you have created that space for yourself. So, use normalized behavior, sorry, normalized language to make it accessible to other people that you might be chatting with. I think that's really, really important. We got about five minutes here, five and a half minutes before we're going to go to our first break. I'd like to get to Shar's question here. And this goes back to when you were describing your own intuitiveness and how you were learning to deal with it yourself. She Mm -hmm. is asking, Heidi... Do you think that you were able to take away some of your own personal pain by feeling it intuitively? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, 100%. So um, what I know to be true is a lot of, well, most people, I think it's human nature, we're trying to avoid pain, right? That's just what we do. And so um, many people try and medicate or like through alcohol or drugs or relationships or food or shopping or whatever else it is and that's all in with the intention to avoid pain uh, as a pain state um but when you actually stop and you look at it and you deal with it and you you acknowledge the trauma and you do acknowledge to yourself that yeah it was actually that bad and that actually brings you uh a, a, a more deep and authentic connection with your intuition because that is what allows you to access compassion for other people. And that's how you help other people is by absolutely not being sympathetic, not saying, oh, I can imagine that must be really hard for you, but just really kind of coming from it like, I get it. I so, every cell of my body gets exactly what you are experiencing. And if you can provide that for a client or a loved one, just by being able to hold that space for them, that they know you know what that trauma or what that feeling is like, that in and of itself can transform lives. And so, to go through that trauma, to go into that trauma, to work through that trauma without re-traumatizing yourself, and and I think I need to add that as well, Um 
but to really own it and to work through it in in a healthy and conscious way is definitely only going to um, help you when you're developing uh, not only your intuition but your own humanity. We got time to sneak in one more question here, and this one will come from Jim Kolesnik in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Jim is asking, Heidi, what is your opinion on the ability to sensitize while using a, well, let's say marijuana? Is it spiritually mm-hmm. magnified or is it blocked? Well, I have a fairly hard line uh, position on uh, hallucinogenics and that is that it is kind of like the fast food version of spirituality um it's kind of like the easy it's the easy way to do it and yet it's not in my own experience it's not the it's not true so what actually happens and perhaps this is you know longer than a two minute um uh, answer, but what happens is your consciousness actually ch- uh, connects into the fourth density or the fourth dimension, which a lot of people know as the astral realm. Um, there's some pretty scary dudes that hang out there. <laughs> and also, uh, what I would say is imposters or falsehoods that are really in that density or that dimension. So, what happens when you take hallucinogenics is that your consciousness. Um, lodges into the fourth density. You think you're having this amazing spiritual experience, but it's not an authentic um, spiritual experience, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you see it. But um, a lot of people I know have become very, um, I think damage is perhaps a stronger, too strong a word, but um, it has not been a positive experience for them when they have taken you know, um, ayahuasca or um, any form of hallucinogenics when they're trying to attain spiritual enlightenment or awareness. And on that note, we are going to get you to hold on because we're going to hop out for our first break of the night. We are talking with Heidi Jane all the way from Sydney, Australia. How wouldn't we all like to be there right now? Exactly. Bring an umbrella if you're going, not for the rain, but to keep the heat away. That's just the way it is. You're listening to Space Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott. We got two more hours with the lovely and beautiful Heidi Jane. I'm looking forward to this because we, we're going to come back. We got a couple of comments that we're going to go through with our audience and so much more. You are listening to Spaced Out Radio. We'll be right back after this. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. Looking for news beyond the mainstream news? Head to spacedoutradio.com and check out the SOR Spacewire. This is Spaced Out Radio's Eric Markham, news director for the SOR Spacewire. Daily, I will bring you intriguing stories and outlandish reports from what's going on around the world. UFO sightings, paranormal activity, conspiracies, alternative health, and so much more. And if you have news, email me at news at spaceoutradio.com. Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sightlines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. 
Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sight lines. All your information is 100% confidential and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passports. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com, where I, Vincent Zunza, and my super sleuth partner, Alexandra Sullivan, track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole, and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock. Loud and proud. In high definition, Radio 702 Rocks. Las Vegas. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. 
views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Welcome back to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you with us. want to thank everyone listening in on Revolution Radio. Remember, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Appreciate you tuning in. want to thank everyone listening in on the United Public Radio Network. That's because we are live right now in New Orleans on 107.7 FM and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us. And if you're listening live in Las Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio, yes, Sin City has us closing out their night as well. Gotta love Sin City. I gotta get back there very soon. It's like an addiction to me, that city. It's been a while, almost a year. Time to go back. I do want to remind you that if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and also use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio if you want to check on out what's going on there. Ask a question, just use the hashtag. Follow us on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show, and give our page a look, like if you wouldn't mind. You can tune us in on TuneIn, download this show on iTunes. You can check us out on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show, and of course our website is spacedoutradio.com. Tomorrow night on the show, Keith McCloskey is going to join us. We're going to be talking about the Dietlov Pass. What happened there, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I want to know what's going on. He's written two books on that. Aliens, Bigfoot, What Killed Those Skiers. Two hours of Keith tomorrow night on the show. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Sesquipedality. Sesquipedality is your password. What it means, nobody knows, not even the Webster's Dictionary. But Bill sets the password each and every night on Spaced Out Radio. We thank Bill for coming in to the SOR Space Travelers Club. Muchly appreciated. Now, we get back to our guest tonight. We have Heidi Jean joining us. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's an... Mm -hmm. Not a problem. We totally appreciate you taking the time. Totally appreciate you taking that. And considering it's perfect because you got the day off tomorrow. So it, it works out even better. Works out even better. So we were talking about intuition in the first little bit here. And I got a couple comments from our listeners that I think are really important. This one comes from Vivian. And this goes back to when we were talking about kids. And I'm curious your opinion on this, because we always like to include our, our guests, uh, or pardon me, our listeners in with the guests on the questions. And I think her point is very good. She says, parents are terrified of what their family, friends, and possibly church community will say and possibly shun them for their children being different. How do you combat that as a parent?
mine are just like, wow. <laughs> like they are so conscious and aware. It's incredible. And really, I feel like it's our job to do whatever we can to support them in um, – really owning their true nature and their true potential and their true power. Now, I, I, I get how difficult that a situation is and everybody needs to make their own choices for themselves and their family situation. But if that was my child, I would never put my child in a place where they needed to compromise themselves to fit into what other people deem normal. Um, that is my um, perspective and I know it's, it's a very difficult choice to make. But in the long run, you will actually and find that that is the best support you could ever give to that child. I mean, I remember my mother telling me, don't you say those things in front of people or, you know, in her, in her happier kind of response would be, oh, you have such an imagination. I'm sure you're going to write children's books one day. And <laughs> it was like, um, well, that was dismissive and, and totally it made me feel ashamed because I felt, wow, she thinks I'm making this up. She thinks I'm imagining it and when we understand what imagination is is actually reality but that's a whole other conversation but you know from my mother's perspective she didn't want anyone outside of the family to think the family was nothing but perfect and and in the very mainstream traditional um kind of way and so as a child to carry that burden of really feeling like I couldn't be who I was because it was embarrassing for my mother or it was embarrassing for other people really took a long time to kind of move past. Um, now I'm totally, you know, good with it. But I, again, you know, I, I, I brought that through to my own um, experience with my own children and I just made a decision very early on that I would never – expose them to those feelings in themselves for to make other people happy really because fundamentally that's what it's about to make other people feel comfortable with their um potentially limited perspectives or different perspectives um and i think the way that we educate people is again by normalizing this by not making it weird or scary or terrifying or strange and it's it's a hard road um, and I don't have all the answers of how we can do that, but I do know that we need to start it at home. We need to start it with ourselves and we need to start it with our children. And then, you know, that snowball effect hopefully will take place and then more people become conscious, it becomes more accepted, you know, it's less strange and, and so forth. I mean, I just wanted to share a, a story as well, of something that happened to me as an adult. So, like you mentioned at the beginning of the first hour, I was on a reality TV show here in Australia called The One, right? And um, search for Australia's most gifted psychic. <laughs> and there was, it was quite a palaver to actually get into the show. Like it was, there was four and a half months of auditioning and it was a big deal, right? And I think there was like four and a half thousand applicants and then it got down to the top 20 and then it, oh, top 300 and then top 20 and then top 10 and the, the top 10 went to air 
And so in that whole process, um, when we had to go in and, and have kind of testing uh, whilst being filmed by the, the network crews and speaking to the executive producers and the um, talent producers and all of that kind of stuff. And really that interview <laughs> took day, uh, you know, a whole day of different experiences. And part of that experience was we had to fill in a form or psychological assessment form. And, and I, I got to the question that said, do you hear voices in your head? And I said to the talent producer, how would you like me to answer this question? And she said, oh, no, don't worry about that. We understand. You guys are all different. Right? And kind of, you know, joked about it and said, it's okay. We're going to kind of waive that part of the, the assessment. So it's all good. And I, I just was like, wow, okay, so this is a diagnostic tool for mental illness. That's interesting. You know, kind of going back, Dave, to what you were saying about um, your daughter's counselor. This is literally a diagnostic tool for mental illness. So it needs to change. And, and this is one of the reasons I study, I'm doing a psychology degree is because I want to affect change and the way that I'm going to do it is from the inside. So I'm going to learn, you know, I'm learning all about the mainstream psychological paradigm so I can get in there and change it and educate those that are already in there that this isn't, there's nothing wrong with people who have a heightened awareness of this reality and other realities. There's nothing wrong with us. We are just different. We have um, a heightened perspective. And, and I think it's also interesting to note that, you know, in terms of highly sensitive people, they have actually done research. And the research has come back that, you know, there's 20% of the population that they consider to be highly sensitive. And that they have determined this through genetic testing as well as behavioral testing so that 20% of the population actually have a genetic predisposition to high sensitivity. So this isn't just like a kind of woo-woo new age concept. This is you're born this way (laughs) and to be anything other than that um, is really going – it's just not going to serve – um, you individually or I, I guess the rest of your family or, or your local community either. It's, it's really about owning it and I'm happy to talk all about that research and, and sort of what, what that means to people with heightened sensitivities. But, you know, suffice to say it's, it's um, we're slowly making grounds or making steps forward in the mainstream medical profession to accept, you know, yeah, okay, not everybody is the same and maybe there are some things that we haven't yet been able to measure, but that does not mean that they don't exist. And so there are researchers out there that are endeavoring to do that, um, which is fantastic, you know, and that's the way that it is going to um, increase in the normalization and acceptance from the the larger population. Um, And so, you know, that's what we need to do. Just keep moving forward. <laughs> Just keep moving forward. I love this comment at hashtag spaced out radio by God of Thunder. We call him Canadian Joe around these parts. He says, <laughs> I think most people go through their whole lives 
and still don't know who they are. It's actually, mm-hmm. in my opinion here, and this is Dave speaking, it, it's, it's really something that most people do. Would you agree with that? 100%. Yes, absolutely. Because we create our reality through the projections that we receive from the people around us and our environment. And so, you know, that projection might come from a TV ad or it might come from a friend at school or it might come from the collective consciousness of the culture that you live in. Um, And so we generate our own self-perception based on the external world rather than based on what's going on within us because we're taught to look outside of ourselves. And, you know, to to map that across to the context of developing intuition and and, um, your intuitive skill set, that is why I um, do not encourage people to look outside of themselves to develop spiritually. So you can do all of this without using so-called spirit guides or ascended masters or angels or anything like that. And in fact, that can be very um, detrimental to your process. The way that I kind of look at it is, you know, if you have a really big decision to make, say that you um, were deciding whether to stay in a relationship or not, and you didn't know what to do, you couldn't make a decision, so you phone your mum. And you, you say, Mum, what do I do? Should I stay with this woman or not? Like, do I stay in this relationship? And your mum, loving you as she does, will have her own agenda in the answer that she will deliver you. So she, she might say something like, well, honey, you know, you are getting older and it's, I think you should stay with her because you know, it's time to have children because her agenda is she just wants grandbabies, right? So she wants you to stay in this relationship so she can have children. Like that's her agenda. Yeah, she wants you to be happy, but that's still her agenda. Or perhaps she says, no, 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 I don't think she's right for you at all. There's there's a really lovely girl that, you know, I know from church and she'd be much better suited to you. So that's her agenda as well. But she's coming across as being very helpful and very supportive of you. But she's always coming at it from her perspective. She's not coming at it necessarily from what, you know, perhaps could be right for you. And even if she's coming at it from she just wants you to be happy, that's still an agenda, right? So that's how I kind of see it, working with other beings, interdimensional beings, I call them, when developing our own intuition. They may give us helpful advice, but there's always going to be some level of agenda. So you have to, and, and to be honest, what do, how do they know? So say, for example, because this is very popular in kind of the new age spiritual industries, talking to angels, etc. So let's just imagine that you are talking to an angelic being and you are asking them advice about what to do with your life and yourself. And they were giving you advice about how to be a human being. At the very kind of core of that, that is illogical to me. Because how do they know, how does that being, that interdimensional life force, know what it is like to be a human? 
they don't. It's like me giving an angel advice how to be an angel. I know nothing about it. And I would never, you know, kind of it just I just would never do that. And I think it's really important, um, coming back to the listener's question, to really understand who you are. What are your impulses showing you? What are your sensations showing you? What does your um, different awareness levels, what does that tell you about yourself, your likes, your dislikes, your patterns, perhaps you have difficulty with relationships or whatever it is, you you know, you can't seem to earn money or you can't seem to hang on to it or um, you don't look after your physical health and well-being. Whatever issue is impacting you at that moment, you know, there's always a resource and an answer within yourself to actually um, achieve understanding or um, move through that challenge. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't ask other people for mentors and uh, as mentors and teachers because I, I feel like we all need mentors and teachers at certain points in our life. But we all have to take responsibility for our own choices and decisions and the co-creative force that we are engaged with and involved with in this universal play. And if you do not like the outcome of your life, you do not like the experience of your life, then it is up to you to take responsibility for it and then to the best of your ability in that moment, make another decision, make another choice and go from there. I get asked a lot like, oh, what if I choose the wrong thing? Well, just make another choice. You know, it, it's, I don't perceive it as wrong or right. It's like you have a choice. You make a choice. You don't like the outcome. You make another choice. You don't like that outcome. You make another choice. <laughs> and then you keep moving forward. That's evolution. <laughs> like that's how we grow. That's how we learn about ourselves. And we can look back and go, if we have some level of personal insight, we look back and go, wow, I could have done that so much better. <laughs> you know, next time I'll know not to um, hook up with a guy like that or marry a person like that or get a job with a guy that I really didn't like. Um, and so we learn and we grow and we evolve. And the only way that we can do that is through our own personal experience. When it comes to learning your own intuitiveness, and we learned about this earlier on in our yep. number one, yep. but for somebody who is opening up later in the game of life, Let's yes. say in their 30s, 40s, maybe even mm -hmm. 50s. How do they know how to read the signs? Because our mind sits there and mm. says, okay, maybe that's just my childhood imagination coming through. Yeah. Maybe that is just the stress of my life from work, paying bills, you know, friends, drama, everybody goes through it, relationships. How do they tell the difference? Well, I think one of the challenges, just to firstly um, clarify that and, and to answer the question at the same time, one of the challenges is that because we are so busy and we are so bombarded by the external world that um, we miss it. We miss intuitive guidance, internal intuitive guidance often. And, and I think a lot of people have an expectation, like it's supposed to be like the booming voice of God or something, like, Heidi, don't do that. Like, that's not, generally speaking, what happens. And so, 
they have this set expectation that it's going to be like this lightning strike experience and when it's not, they dismiss it. And so what I know to be true is that intuition works very subtly and the the voice of the higher self, the higher aspect of ourselves works very subtly and without emotional attachment. Okay, so this is a key point. It doesn't say, oh my God, like if you could do that, you know that's not going to work out very well for you. That's a total emotional attachment, right? It will say, it, from my experience, it gives um, very clear, unattached guidance. And it's not about right or wrong, good or bad, because, you know, as I'm sure your listeners understand, we all have free will and choice. But it, it drops in very subtly um, when, we're, when we're connecting into our intuition from our higher self. And so that's why we have to understand ourselves well enough to know what's going on. And it can take a while. You know, it, 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 unfortunately, again, or fortunately, I'm not sure, um, this often isn't like a quick fix kind of experience you know you develop it to the level that is healthy for you there are checks and balances put in place in your anatomy and physiology both um, on the physical emotional mental and spiritual levels to ensure that you are not bombarded with too much information at once that you cannot handle so the more that you focus on it and put your intention to learning it and listening to it and feeling into it and seeing it, the more it will occur. It's kind of like, you know, when, I mean, obviously you probably don't know, Dave, but, you know, as a woman, when I wanted to have a baby, when I wanted to get pregnant, all I saw was pregnant women. You know, it's kind of like that. The more you are in alignment with it, the more it will occur. And it will happen just as a matter of um, course, like I was literally sitting in the office, um, my partner was just yesterday, he was like going, oh, I've got to contact this guy on LinkedIn, but I can't remember his name for the life of me. He said, just throw out a guy's name. And I went, Mike. And he went, yeah, that's it. (laughs) Now, I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't going, oh, like I'm going to sit down and like, you know, meditate and turn around three times and touch my nose. And it was just like, bang, because I was connected. I was doing some of my other work. I was actually writing. And so I was already in that state of connection. So it just bang came through and then I got on. So it, it, it literally just was like a thought dropped into my, I could see the word Mike in my mind, shared it with him. It was the right thing. That's just a small example. But, um, so I think it's really important for people not to sensationalize the experience. And yeah, I do acknowledge that sometimes, you know, profound spiritual experiences through meditations or um, vision quests or journeys, that kind of thing can be quite um, life-changing. Um, so I don't want to take away from that either. But when I'm talking about like day-to-day day-to-day um, connection to your intuition, it, it just becomes second nature. It, it really does. And so you don't have to think about it. You don't have to try. Um, it will. Ju- it's always there. It's just about you saying yes to it and then slowly opening yourself up more and more. And, and not, 
and and I think sorry the one of the most important points is to trust yourself you're not going to get it perfect all the time I certainly don't you know it's not a foolproof 100% kind of thing because you're dealing with other people's consciousness you're dealing with other people's free will and choice and there's a lot of moving parts in for example if you were doing a reading for somebody there's a lot of moving parts in that experience and it's not an exact science so I think you know if you get the majority of things um I'll say correct or you you have an inner knowing or an intuition about what to do or what not to do or who to hang out with or who not to hang out with how to progress or not that and you listen to that and it is accurate then you know journal about that write that down because you'll probably forget it because the ego mind likes to judge a lot and it likes to tell you that you're being stupid that people are going to make fun of you that um you're going to look like a freak that who do you think you are you're nothing special yada 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 so the ego voice or the internal i call it the inner survivor is really there its main purpose and job is there to have you survive right so anything that is going to potentially put you outside of that comfort zone, often the very uncomfortable comfort zone that we live in um, for, for most people, anything that's going to put you outside of that, it's going to have something to say. Like, who do you think you are? Don't do that. Don't tell people that you have this ability that you you know, can see stuff before it happens or that you have these dreams or that you can hear voices in your head. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to lock you up. They're going to put you in a padded cell and lock you up. Just keep your mouth shut. And so then we, you know, that's our internal voice. So then we think, oh God, okay, well, yeah, I'll just dismiss that. (laughs) But then it gets to the point where you can't dismiss it any longer. And, um, you slowly start to negotiate with that inner survivor and say, and this is what I do, you know, I I negotiate like, yeah, I might get it wrong or yeah, I might look weird or yep, I might fail or yep, I might screw it up, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'll just see where I end up. And when you say that to the inner survivor, it kind of doesn't have a comeback. It doesn't know what to say because it's, you know, it loves to go through a long laundry list of all of the things that are going to go wrong if you are truly who you you are displaying your natural abilities and skills um, in your normal day-to-day life. You don't have to dress in purple velvet and look at a crystal ball to be able to access your intuition. And in fact, you know, not at all (laughs) not at all (laughs) um and and sometimes I think you know that whole concept it does taint people's perspective of their own intuitive abilities as well because they don't want to be seen like that or not that there's anything wrong um with somebody who's wearing purple velvet but you know there's this whole kind of stereotype that goes along with it and the And the inner survivor doesn't want to be associated with that often. And so then that's another reason not to develop your intuition or not to learn more about yourself or not to develop your natural skill set. Because quite frankly, you know, I mean, the the consciousness of the planet is rising. It doesn't look like it when you turn on the news, but it is. It absolutely is. And I perceive this to be, you know, we all have our hidden superpowers. And the reason that we're even having conversations like this is because people are waking up and they want to develop 
their own unique superpower to benefit not only themselves but but um, the rest of the planet. And I say all for it. Absolutely. Now's the time to do it. Let's get to a question from Gail in the SOR Space Traveler. She is asking, Heidi, how does one who keeps finding oneself in the dying experience of another keep from being traumatized over and over? I've currently isolated myself to avoid any more up-close and personal deaths. Mm, That is a tricky one. Well, of course, the first thing that I would say is to you know, extract yourself from the environment, which obviously you have done. Um, the other thing is to create, I mean, that to me feels like more of an empathic experience than an intuitive experience, which we're kind of dealing with a little bit of, it's a bit of a different set of parameters. And so it can be very, very difficult. It's very difficult because from an empathic perspective, like I said before, you're merging with that other human being. You're merging with the consciousness of that person. What I would say about that, though, is that if you are continuing to have these experiences, that's, I feel like that's your higher self kind of showing you something. In terms of, you know, I'm a very practical person. Like, I I look at what's in front of me. And if I keep having an experience over and over again, I go, huh, okay, So, what's going on with that? Like, what do I need to understand about this experience for myself? And my feeling is that perhaps you're having these experiences so that you can help people in that realm. You know, perhaps um, as they're passing over or as a support worker or something along those lines. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know you. But um, if there was a continued experience like that, like a a fairly um, dramatic um, and significant recurring experience like that, then I would turn it into see, okay, so how can I in a way leverage this experience? How can I learn more about myself um, to perhaps benefit me and also the people around me? The second part I would say is that you can uh, learn how to dissociate and disconnect from the people around you. So as an empath um, living in Sydney, which has uh, a lot of people in this city, um, it, it's very intense living in large cities as an empath because you're literally connected into the collective consciousness of that city. And most empaths I know want to live in the bush or in the forest, you know, in solar paneled covered cottages with their animals and grow their own veggies and just, you know, knit all day. <laughs> like that, they don't want to kind of associate with the rest of humanity because it's too painful. But that's not necessarily healthy for us either because one of the reasons that we have a deep level of empathy and compassion for other human or sentient beings, it's not just human beings, sentient beings, it's, it's not a mistake. It's, there's a reason that we have these abilities and it's not actually healthy for us to disconnect from, from people because we have this love-hate relationship with them. Like we want to be with them, we want to help them, but then, whoa, hang on a second, just 
back off. I don't actually want you in my space. So it's like this push-pull experience that we have. And it can be very confusing for people. It can lead to depression and anxiety. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of different layers to this. But I know that isolation does not work. It is not healthy for us. We do not thrive when we are isolated from other sentient beings and we need to have human connection. That is why we have higher levels of empathy and compassion and sensory input. Like literally our central nervous systems respond differently to external stim and, and internal stimulus. So, you know, it's not just something you can get over. It is the way that you are made. And like I said before, my kind of um, motto is work with what you've got rather than trying to change it or trying to deaden it or trying to numb it. Work with what you are being shown. Work with what you are experiencing. Work with who you are and then it will all fall into place for you. But in the meantime, you know, Try and limit your exposure to traumatic experiences. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. You know, if you don't have the tools currently to be able to deal with what's happening in your life, regardless, and this is to all the listeners, regardless of what's going on in your life, if you don't have the tools to deal with an unhealthy person, even if they're your parent or, you know, a sibling or a best friend, if you don't have the tools and and your, your heightened sensitivities are really impacted negatively and and you're having a traumatic experience just with a phone call or any kind of exposure with that person be polite be kind but limit your exposure and in fact sometimes you just need to cut it off altogether until such time that you're in a place that you feel that you can deal with that person or that you have the internal tools to be able to manage that type of situation because the more negative, um, I think part of the, and, and this is kind of getting a little bit way out there, but part of the overall control mechanism that I perceive on this planet is to traumatize over highly sensitive people and to keep them in, in a state of trauma. Because if we're in a state of trauma, we can't really access our true potential. And there are forces whether we like to admit it or not, there are negative forces on this planet that would love to see empaths and telepaths and intuitives totally knocked off their, um, really, from their, their, um, their feet, you know, in a way they just don't want us to thrive. And so... If you look around, it's oftentimes society and cultures is set up and particularly, you know, mainstream media, if you just turn on the news, it's set up to constantly re-traumatize sensitive people. And so that's what I say, until you're strong enough and you can get there because I've gotten there. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. I truly believe that. Um, if you can't, if you don't have the tools to be able to deal with it, then, then distance yourself from the source of the trauma. And that is across the board, regardless of what it is. Let's get to a question from Lisa. She is asking, Heidi, how can one pay attention to themselves if they hate themselves? There's a mm. lot of people out there who 
due to depression, due to anxiety, due yep. to their life circumstance. Maybe they are one of those people that just has that black cloud that is always following them. They hate themselves. Mm-hmm. How do they deal with it? How do they get in touch with their spiritual self? Well, the the hate – well, I mean I would deal with that in a number of ways. If you were my client, um, the first thing that I would do is give you a clearing because often um, the true nature of humanity is not to hate and that includes self-hatred. Self-hatred from my perspective is internalized pain, is an unacknowledged and internalized pain. And so, yes, it's very difficult to – know yourself and connect with yourself and develop your intuition if you have this internalized pain. And um, that can be from lifetimes ago. It can be something that you've absorbed from your ecosystem, i.e. your family members, or it could be due to a trauma from yourself. I mean, these belief systems, um, like I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or anything like that, can be genetically, like we can inherit that from our family line, from our ancestors. We don't just inherit, you know, blue eyes, blonde hair, right? We inherit particular belief systems and ways of being. So, you know, maybe it doesn't even belong to you. Like that is the first thing that I would say. Like maybe I would really invite you to kind of look at your family of origin and look back and see, and not just your parents, but maybe grandparents, great grandparents, if you have them, aunts and uncles, how do they perceive themselves? How do they interact with themselves? Do they deal with their own pain? Do they deal with relationships in a healthy, responsible adult manner? Do, you know, do they go into avoidance? Do they self-medicate, etc.? And Because if you're highly sensitive and you're living in that environment, it could actually just be that you've learned that way of interacting with the world. And so, and I'm not taking away by any stretch of the imagination from the experience of depression and anxiety. I have had those on and off myself my whole life. And I know that it is definitely due to my heightened sensitivity. I'm about 99% empathic. So, it's very difficult for me to be in the uh, environment of somebody who has anxiety because I start to feel anxious and, and I'm like, before I even know it, I'm, I'm in anxiety and then I now fortunately know myself well enough to go, okay, is this mine? Does this even belong to me? And I'll check in and go, nope, this is actually not even my anxiety. So, I let it go, you know, and I have a little bit of a, <clears throat> I guess, a saying or a mantra, a clear and strong intention. It's my clear and strong intention to, re- to release all that does not belong to me and return it to the source of its creation. So what that means is, you know, if I'm walking past somebody in the street who's just had a fight with her boyfriend and all of a sudden I pick up her rage and her anger or her depression – and then that starts to affect me psychologically, emotionally, physically, I'll be like, whoa, hang on a second. Where did that come from? I was fine five seconds ago. No, this this is not mine. This does not belong to me. It is not my job to process it on behalf of that person. It is not my job to fix other people. 
it is my job to have this experience and do the best that I can do and to clear myself as much as I can. And so I return it to the source of its creation. So that might not even be the girl that I walk past. It might be from her boyfriend or her boyfriend's father or who knows. I don't need to know. It's not, it's none of my business where it came from. All I know is it does not belong to me. And so I lovingly release that. And I think a lot of people, a lot of empaths and, and intuitives that I work with get really stuck in this attitude of servitude. You know, it's like they feel like they need to be servants or something. Um, they need to be martyrs. And, you know, I, I, I often say, um, yes, we're here to be of service, but that doesn't mean that you have to be a servant. So you don't have to get caught up in the external environment of what's happening around you. And that I feel like if you separated yourself from what's going on around you, it's really going to help with that perspective of yourself um, and with self-hatred and um, because that to me is just an indication of, of internalized pain that hasn't been, that hasn't been dealt with that. It may be your pain. It may not be, but it's pain nonetheless, and it needs to be processed. It needs to be cleared. Um, Otherwise it's going to be very difficult for you to see your beauty, see your potential, see the power that you have. Um, That is, that is every human being, you know, that we all have access to, and we're conditioned to believe that we're not enough, you know, from, from very small children. And so, you know, part of the conversation that we're having here tonight is about, you know, supporting children to believe and to know that who they are is absolutely perfect, regardless of whether it fits into what other people want for them or not. And as an adult, that's our responsibility to do so for ourselves. So if we didn't have the ad- advocate as children growing up, be an advocate for yourself, you know, advocate for yourself. Let's continue on here with a question from Claudia. And when Claudia starts firing questions, usually we're going to get about 20 or 30 tonight, which, <laughs> which I'm okay with. You know, because poor Claudia, I have to tell you, she has been digging out of about four or five feet of snow in the U.S. <laughs> and... Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of embarrassed here because I brag about being Canadian all the time, and yeah. you know, and I've maybe had maybe a, right a, a, I've maybe had a foot and a half, and here she is, the poor thing, having to dig out of about four to five feet <laughs> of snow. So I, I feel for her, and she's been having to go to bed early because she's digging up the white stuff too much. But anyway, she's <laughs> back tonight. I think the snow has kind of given her a break to catch into the show. So she's asking at nighttime. Before going to sleep with my eyes closed, I can see forms. Then the forms turn into a scene. So clear, I can see inside someone's house. See them laughing or eating. Can see a lot of detail very clearly. What makes sense, or pardon me, what makes scenes come into view even without intention? Um. Excuse me. It, it sounds like you're a you have a natural ability to remote view. So um, some of us are just wired that way. Like what I was saying before. <clears throat> excuse me about 
past some of us are more visual, more hearing, more feeling. Um, you, you know, my my uh, sense is that she has a natural ability. Do you, so remote viewing is the the ability to, in a way, bilocate your consciousness. Uh, there's, there's a kind of, I guess, there's a number of different levels to it. I'm um, to the extreme where your consciousness is actually in a different location, and you're experiencing that location as if you were in it. Um, but if you are seeing it as like a movie theater in your mind, kind of thing, that is that is your clairvoyance, but your ability to tune into other people's lives. Um, so it'd be interesting to know if she knows these people, if she was thinking about anything, um, you know, because I feel like, you know, there's no mistakes. Absolutely. I don't believe in coincidences either. So there is, um, this information is coming through to you for a specific reason. Um, so if I was you, I would be doing some research in my life and kind of backtracking and going, okay, so what was going on before I went to sleep? Did I watch a news story? Did I, was I thinking about a particular person? Do I actually even know these people that I'm viewing? Um, can I do some research to find out who these people are and why is it that I'm viewing them? <clears throat> you might also want to think about how you're feeling when you're viewing them. So, what are the emotion, what's the emotional state of your body? Are you really relaxed? Are you, is it a stressful situation? What's going on? There's lots of different kind of um, perspectives that she could approach this. Um, but when we're falling asleep, obviously, our conscious mind is receding and our subconscious mind is um, kind of stepping forward. And that, in that moment, it's kind of like we're between worlds. And in that state, we're able to access um, the collective consciousness. And that is why meditation practices, etc. I mean, that's the whole point of them, to alter our awareness so we are able to access other densities, other times, dimensions, and planes. Now, some people have a natural predisposition to do that. and They don't have to do a lot of meditation or anything. They can just literally do it at will. So, um, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing unless she's being upset by it. <laughs> but if I was you, I would definitely um, do a lot of research, like like track back what is going on in my life when this when this tends to happen. What about people though who do not have time or just cannot figure out how to meditate? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there, yours truly included. Yeah. who just don't have enough time in the day to do yeah. so. I'll give you an example. My day started at 7 o'clock this morning. I got home. I had exactly 38 minutes with my family to eat dinner before <laughs> I had to go into the studio to do this show. And when I finally get done this show and crawl back into bed, I'm zonked. I'm done. Yeah. So yeah. when when you have people who are living an extremely full life because it is yeah. such a 24-hour society now, mm-hmm. even finding that extra five minutes in the shower to relax and enjoy some hot water is a hard aspect for a lot of people to reach. Totally. So I guess it's all about where you place your value. And if you 
place your value in learning to meditate, then you'll find the time. And I, and I totally get what you're saying, Dave. Like, it is a crazy world that we're living in. But I, I feel in a way it's, that's by design to keep us separate from accessing our higher consciousness. Because if we're distracted out externally about this crazy world, then we don't have time to connect internally. And, you know, that's the whole point. Um, having said that, I understand that a lot of people think meditation is about sitting in the lotus position for an hour without any thoughts in your mind. And if you are in the Western culture, that is not something that is going to come naturally to you. Because again, we're bombarded externally by, you know, billboards and, and iPhones and tablets and cars and this and that. Like there's always external stimulus going on and so then we're, we think oh okay so then I go home and sit down and I'm not supposed to think about anything like I can't do that and so they give it a try once or twice and go oh this sucks like I can't meditate and they just don't try it again there's a lot of different forms of meditation you can do a breathing meditation like literally you just cycle your breath for 30 seconds that can be a meditation you could do a walking meditation with your eyes open and you're actually moving but you're focused in on one point of awareness you can stare at a candle if you wanted to um you know one of the reasons that i developed guided visualizations for for people is this very reason you know you take the 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 conscious mind on a story you know in a in a beautiful storyline it actually gets it out of the way so the higher aspect of yourself can reach deeper states of connection so it, it's you know there's lots of different ways and that's what i would um encourage people from westernized culture to to use guided visualization techniques um to um, do walking meditation. You can meditate in the shower. I mean, I meditate in the shower. So you can do it wherever you are. And, and it doesn't have to be for an hour. It can literally be for five minutes or for 30 seconds if that's all you have. But again, it comes back to the point. And I'm certainly not taking away at all from your experience, Dave. It comes back to the point of where you place your value, that is where your energy will go. And so, you know, you will find that 30 seconds, that 60 seconds, that five minutes to spend on yourself. The other aspect of that is looking at the value you hold for yourself. You know, you don't, if you don't have five minutes out of your day to spend self-nourishing, that's a concern. <laughs> but, you know, long term, that's a concern. That's a concern. But, so, a lot of, but a lot of people have that concern. Yeah. Because, let's face it, we don't know how to settle down. Our, yeah, fo our phones, uh, whether we're working or not, our phones are continually in our hand. Okay, mm -hmm. we have a lot of people out there who are who are struggling just to to you know get their own values and figure out what they are because society yeah. keeps teaching us that we're not allowed to feel like this. We're not allowed to be fat. We're not allowed to be incomplete without makeup. If you're a woman, yeah. you know you're not allowed to to you know play certain sports you know mm. and it just goes on and on 
And a lot of people are having a hard time trying to figure out where they fit in anymore. Yeah. Well, 100%. I I totally understand and and, um, agree with you 100%. But at the end of the day, it's all about choice, I guess. You know, what, what are you choosing? Who do you want to be in your life? Do you want to constantly, and I'm not just talking obviously to you, Dave, but to the listeners, like in the, in the wider context, do you want to continually be caught up in this um, paradigm that everything external to you is more important than you, that everything else deserves your time and attention more than your inner health? That's a choice. And, you know, it's not a wrong choice, it's not a right choice, but it's a choice. And so, if you don't like the results, like I was saying before, you don't like the results you're getting, make a different choice. If you want to learn how to meditate, make the choice to learn how to meditate. And, I, and it's about practice. You know, you, you need to practice like going to the gym. You need just to turn up. And sometimes that's all it takes. You just need to turn up for yourself. And if you do 30 seconds one day, and then 60 seconds the next day, and then 30 seconds the day after, and then think, oh, God, I'm a failure. Well, you know, no, you've just done 30 seconds. So then just keep turning up for yourself. Um, I'm really passionate about getting people to acknowledge their true potential and power. And the more disconnected we are from our intuitive skill set, from our sensitivities, from our empathy, from our compassion, from our humanity, the more, in a way, hell, uh, the earth is going to hell in ha- handbasket. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like, because we, we don't see ourselves as powerful. We don't, we're told that we, we can't access all of these things that we want, that we can't have all of these things that we want unless we buy it in a store, unless we work really hard for it. And that's not true at all. It, it's there for us to access any moment we choose, but we just have to choose it. And you might, like I said, you might do really great one day, one week, one month, and then suck for the rest of the year. But at least you you made that choice. And then at some point, you'll make another choice. Yeah, I want to get back to that. I, I do see the importance of myself. And the clearer I am, the more connected I am, the calmer that I am within myself, that is going to benefit not only me, but everybody around me in my ecosystem. I'm going to be able to turn up for work in a more, in a clearer heightened state, I'm going to be able to see opportunities when they come in. I mean, it just kind of flows across every area of your life. Um, there's, there's a saying that says, if you do not have, um, 15 minutes to meditate during the day, then you need to be meditating for an hour. So, you know, it's kind of like, if you don't have that time, then you need to have 10 times that time. And on that note, we're going to hop out for a break here at the top of the hour. You're listening to Space Out Radio. More with Heidi Jane coming up. Your intuitiveness, how we get there, what is happening right after this. We'll be right back. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. 
SOR sight lines, your answers are a click away. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with you 4 cop On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Wachowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. Have you checked out the SOR Spacewire at spacedoutradio.com yet? Every day we post the latest stories regarding the weird, strange, and completely unbelievable. From cryptid and UFO sightings to the conspiracy world, we tackle it all. Hi there, I'm Eric Markham, Space Out Radio's news director for the SOR Spacewire. And if you have a story, I want to hear it. Email me at news at spaceoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio or our website, including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. 
Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Tomorrow night on the show, Keith McCloskey is going to join us. He's the author of a pair of books on the Dietlov Pass. What killed those skiers back in 1957? Bigfoot? Aliens? The government? We'll find out tomorrow night with Keith, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern Time, 4 p.m. if you are in Sydney, Australia. Everything at spacedoutradio.com. Remember, if you're listening in on the United Public Radio Network live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world, we are glad to have you along for this ride. Thank you so much. If you're listening in on Revolution Radio, yes, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. And if you're listening in on Renegade Talk Radio, yes, we are live right now in Las Vegas. Sin City, closing out their night with a little SOR. Gotta love it. 
If you want to follow us on Twitter, you could use the hashtag SpacedOutRadio to get your questions and comments on there. We really appreciate that. If you want to follow us on Twitter, give our page a like. Or make that Facebook. Give our Facebook page a like. Spaced Out Radio Show. You could check out all of our archives on YouTube. And that is Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. We have just joined Stitcher as well. So if you're a Stitcher fan, you can go on there. And of course, our website is spacedoutradio.com where we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for 5 bucks a month. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Sesquipedality. Sesquipedality is your password. Make sure you use it wisely, Space Travelers, because Bill just makes these words up, just throws a bunch of letters together, and hopefully something sticks. That's how he does it. Heidi Jane is our guest tonight, all the way from Sydney, Australia. She is someone who teaches people how to find their intuition, how to get closer to their internal self. Her website, Heidi-Jane.com. Heidi, welcome back. Thank you. Again, pleasure to be here. (laughs) It is a pleasure. I'm enjoying the accent. (laughs) Thank you. It's a bit of a hybrid, but... (laughs) It, it, it sounds marvelous, just marvelous. So I appreciate that. Now, before we get more into the intuitive side and how we learn mm-hmm. and what we go through, right before the break, we were talking about meditation and yeah. how people are having a hard time calming down these days with society being a 24-hour society. If yeah. people can find that five minutes a day, mm-hmm. Where do you suggest that they just go relax and meditate? Uh, Well, outside is definitely the best option. Um, If you're in nature, particularly if you're a highly sensitive person, that is going to help balance your central nervous system. Um, But if you can't find five minutes outside in nature, you know, I say putting your bum on the earth is really one of the best meditation practices that you can do and just literally feeling the earth underneath your body. Um, If you can't do that, then wherever you are, except for when you're driving your car, okay, because I have actually had – I do – I'm often invited to speak at at Mind Body Spirit Festivals here in Australia and I sell, you know, my meditation CDs or guided visualizations and books and stuff and I had a woman come up um, and talk to me and said, oh, I love this Heart of the Earth Mother, you know, that's my favorite. I've got all of you. I was going, oh, great, great, great. She goes, yeah, I especially love it when I'm driving. I went, what? She said, yes, I love to listen to it while I'm driving. It really chills me out. I said, um, please don't listen to it while you're driving because <laughs> the intention that it was created with is to alter your state of consciousness. So um, I was really shocked. So I'll just put it out there. The only place that I would not encourage people to meditate to catch that five minutes is whilst they're driving or operating heavy machinery. <laughs> um, definitely a no-no, a big no-no. Uh, but literally <clears> – <throat> If you're just sitting anywhere, you could do it standing, on a train, on a bus, anything like that. Um, But, you know, I have – I just come into my office, sit down, close my eyes, bang, I'm in. You know, and sometimes I only need 
two or three minutes. And that is enough at the beginning of the day just to send to me and to get me connected with the intention of the day and what I've got um, moving forward. Because I'm an empath, that's a really important process for me to do. Um, because I can be a little bit, well, we have birds here in Australia called magpies and they get distracted by shiny things. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like dogs and squirrels, you know, it's a magpie thing, all shiny, shiny, shiny. And then I'm doing 20 things at once and that can be an empathic trait. So it's really important for me to um, get very focused and grounded and centered at the beginning of my day and I know that that's beneficial for a lot of people. Well, it's beneficial for anybody. And it, it really, it only needs to take two or three minutes. Now, you know, once a week or once a month, if you have time to spend an hour listening to a guided visualization, then for sure do that as well. But there are little things that you can do day to day. And then there are bigger kind of experiences that you can have, um, I guess, not as often. But like I said before, you know, it's where you place your value. And if you value your own inner health and well-being, that is going to benefit your life and the people around you. If that's what you value, then, then you will find that time to be able to do that. Got a lot of questions coming in from the audience right now. And Ron wants to know, how do you follow your inner voice? Me specifically? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, Like I was mentioning before, I I receive information because I'm an empath. So I receive information on a number of different levels. So if I'm working with a client who's very uh, kinesthetic or very feeling, I will feel it in my body. I'll feel the information in my body. If, um, If I'm working with somebody who is very visual, I will see images in my mind's eye. I'm naturally, I'm um, predominantly clairaudient. So that means I, I hear. Um, I also, I can also see and, and I feel definitely because that's kind of the empathic trait, right? We feel everything. Um, but that's one of the things. So it's just, it depends on the environment that I'm in. It depends on who I'm with. It can depend on um, different circumstances, what I'm doing, what's going on around me, etc. So there's not one quick and short answer to that question. But when I receive, um, so for example, sound or auditory um, information, it can be like a sentence is dropped into my head or a concept. I can sometimes see words. Um, lots of different ways I can experience the, the clairaudient information. The visual information is literally like I am um, kind of seeing like a movie theater or a film in my mind's eye and so it kind of plays out in front of me or I can see words or I can see people or colors or um, that's quite interesting as well. Um, The feeling, so there's a thing, there's a phenomenon called a feeling sight um, and that is really dominant for people who aren't very visual but they're – they're not very visual, but they're very feeling. So, for example, if you were to say to, if, say to somebody, close your eyes 
and see the color pink. Well, they can't see it, but they can feel that it's the color pink. And when I used to teach meditation classes, you know, some of my students would say, I can't, like, I, I feel that it's a brown dog rather than seeing that it's a brown dog. I feel the brownness of the dog and I feel that the dog is small. And so it's actually called a feeling sight. So sometimes that is how people um, receive their, their information as well. Okay, so a feeling site, and that's how I started off with the feeling site when I was re-activating um, my abilities. Um, you know, in my, I was talking about that in the first hour and in, in kind of my late teens, I, I really developed a very strong feeling site and then it developed into fairly strong clairvoyance. So that can be in dream states or I can see things hanging around people, you know, I can see dead people every now and again, but I have filters, like I have boundaries, I have things set in place that prevent me from being bombarded by the information that's going on around me because I need to function in this world. So I have times when I turn my abilities on and then times when they are completely off but they're dulled down because I don't want to you know sometimes a girl just needs to go and get some milk from the supermarket right and I don't want to know that the manager is having an affair with the checkout chick and like I'm not interested it's none of my business I don't want to know that information doesn't benefit me doesn't benefit them don't want to know it so I have again I have real boundaries around that so if it if I'm not using it to um, help other people, then I don't go looking at um, information. Like I don't. So when I hear people say, "Oh, well, I've got a message for me for for you," and my guides told me this message for you, and I just have to share it with you, I think, "Wow, okay, that's 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 a personal boundary that you have just crossed, and that's really not appropriate." And I I don't like that at all because we all have our right to privacy. And so, um, you know, it's not appropriate for people just to um, be kind of reading you or tuning into what's going on in your life, past, present or future, without giving your permission first. So, long answer to the question, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of different layers to it. And so, I can feel, I see, I hear, um, or just an inner knowing, um, but within the context of where I am. Um, so I hope that makes sense. I hope that that's answered the question. <laughs> For sure. Let's get to another one here. Yeah. Jim is asking, he says, knowing that I am protected and that my family is protected, do you find your guides using you for the greater good? And is it okay to offer yourself verbally to assist them? So I, I don't, um, I personally don't work with guides. So I, I work with my higher self and, and that is it. So um, <sighs> that's a tricky one to answer that question. Um, I think, you know, if in terms of if a client is coming to me um, – and obviously, they've given me their permission, right, to help them, right? Because they've booked a session with me and they've paid the money or whatever else and, and they're in, in my space, so I've got their permission. Um, but otherwise, 
I don't really I, – I just am very strong with um, kind of the whole psychic, intuitive, spiritual boundaries thing. And um, un- unless it's under a very extreme circumstance, I would never approach somebody that I didn't know and give them advice or offer them perspectives. Like I – in fact, I can't really think of a um, – an experience where that could take place unless it was a life um, life or death kind of situation. Um, yeah. Does it, yeah. Does that answer the question? I mean, I don't work with guides. I literally, I only work with my higher self. Um, before I looked at it from this perspective, um, just so the listeners understand where I'm coming from, I used to, many years ago when I first started developing myself, I did all of the kind of, I guess what you would call new age or spiritual um, work. So I used to teach spiritual development. I used to um, do a lot of mediumship. I used to do a lot of trance mediumship, amnesic mediumship. I've done um, trance channeling. I've you know, studied many different modalities. I used to do psychic surgery, etc. And I feel like I've kind of gone through all of those experiences and been spat out the other end, <laughs> you know. And so now, from my perspective, um, I kind of look back and go, well, I don't um, negate the experiences that I had and I now know how to do it in a much more powerful, effective, easy, and safe way. And that is as a sovereign, so um, a sovereign being who is able to access multi-dimensions using my higher self only. And so I, I speak at this from experience, and I know that there are, like I was saying um, previously, there's a lot of kind of imposters and frauds in other dimensions that love to play with and interfere with human beings and they may um, come through as being all light and love and gorgeous and helpful but at the end of the day you are actually making a contract, you're making an agreement with something that is external to yourself and agreements do not come without a price so you will have to pay eventually, there is going to be some equaling of that cause and effect of the agreement that you've made. So I always say to people, please use your discernment. Um, and, you know, a lot of people will try and reach their consciousness out into these other beings to have connection, either extraterrestrial or interdimensional. And I would caution that very strongly because there are plenty of beings who are just waiting for humans to extend their consciousness out so that they can connect with them. And they'll tell you what you want to hear. You know, it, it'll it'll go well for a while until it doesn't, and then you may very much find yourself in a pickle. So I tend not to kind of work um, interdimensionally, if that makes sense. Let's get to a question from another man who lives in the future like you do. Robert from Australia is asking, Heidi, <laughs> when you search for a missing person, what mm-hmm. methods do you use? Do you go off just a picture or do you get names and last known location? 
Well, I don't do that work as a day-to-day. Um, I did do that work on television. That's kind of all they seem to be obsessed with, with us finding things. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so when I did it in in that context, yes. So um, photograph, um, you know, that, that can help or an article of their clothing or something. But generally speaking, I connect into the consciousness of the person. So I kind of, in a way, remote view them from my consciousness. So I will connect in to that person or that thing or whatever it is and try and see it from their perspective where they are. So it's in a way I'm looking through their eyes. That's how I do it. Um, you know, the one of the most powerful, I guess, experiences that I did have on that show was we weren't necessarily finding somebody, but we had to um, go into a an apartment where there was a murder that was taking place and we had to, we weren't told anything about it. Um, were we told that it was a woman? Maybe. That it was a woman that was killed, but we had to tell them um, who killed her how it happened, why they did it, and where the body was in the apartment. Now, I can tell you that, again, was a very traumatic experience for me because I went up into that apartment and I merged with the consciousness of the woman who was actually murdered. In It was a police investigation. Like, there was a policeman judging us on the answers that we're giving and everything, right? And I merged with the consciousness of that woman – as if I was her and I felt myself being killed like she was being killed. And I mean, it was just, it was a fairly, uh, um, it was not a good experience for me, put it that way. Obviously not a good experience for her and certainly not a great experience for me. But the other people, um, the other you know, um, competitors or psychics in the show. I don't really refer to myself as a psychic, but the other psychics in the show um, were just kind of going in and coming out and, you know, they were chatting and happy and whatever. And I couldn't understand why they didn't feel what I felt and why they didn't experience it to the level that I experienced it to the point where I was vomiting after the challenge. I was just so distressed because I'd actually experienced the murder, this woman being murdered as she was experiencing it. Needless to say, I got everything right, right? Because she was showing me through my own body exactly what her experience was like, down to the fact that she had a crushed larynx that I could feel. You know, her the, this this rod or this this stick being held over her neck. So, after that experience, I thought, I'm not doing this for a job. Like, uh-uh, <laughs> this is not something that I want to go through in my day-to-day. That's, that's, not, that's not it. So, so I, I really don't, um, I don't pursue those cases. I have been asked to be involved in some of them um, that I'm not able to speak about. But, um, but, how, but it's not something that I would, I would do. And I think it takes a very special person to be able to do, to do that type of work, um, particularly when it, in, it comes to locate, locating lost uh, like bodies or lost people or, or what have you. Um, yes, yeah, so that's, it's a very specialized skill. Um, and like I said, the way that I do it is now I try and remote view it rather than 
to connect too much into that person. Mm. I love this question from Mario because we actually had a guest on, oh goodness, uh, about a week and a half ago that was quite, quite adamant about the way the church should go. Anyhow. The Catholic Church or? Any church. Any church, okay. Yes. He he was kind of religious, shall we say. Okay. (laughs) Anyways. Mario's question is pretty much the same thing that I fired off at this gentleman. And yeah. it is, what is the difference between intuition and prophecy? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think language, really. I mean, I, I so in the context of, of a biblical or religious context, yeah, you could could see it as a, a prophetic vision or dream or, or what have you. Um, I guess there's different levels of intuition, right? So like I was, I've been speaking about day-to-day kind of intuition, like knowing where there's going to be a car park, knowing which lift to get in, you know, that kind of thing. Um, right up to I can see, you know, that you having like a precognizant uh, vision of perhaps a plane crashing or people, a lot of people being hurt or etc. So that's probably what you would consider more of a prophecy. Yeah. Rather than um, knowing which lift to get in at work or, where, you know, which lift is going to come to you next. Um, so I think there's different levels of connections and there's definitely different layers. I mean, I actually feel a lot of compassion for people who only get the big stuff. You know, they kind of seem to be turned off most of the time and then they get these visions that just totally overwhelm them and they don't know what to do with them. And then often they'll see these things being played out in the third dimension, like in life, and they feel a lot of um, distress because they they kind of think, well, should I have stopped that? Is is that is that why I was shown that? Because I was supposed to prevent it? Like, how does that work? And you know, I don't know that there's an easy answer to that question. But um, we're all connected into this level of collective consciousness. So just some of us have more access to um, being able to pull that information through. I believe that time is well linear. Time is linear here. Well, even though I'm in the future and you guys are in the past, no. <laughs> but, yeah. but that is linear, right? <laughs> so that time is linear in the third density of the third dimension, but in other dimensions that we're interacting with, it is not linear. It is concurrent. And then there are other parallel timelines. So, I mean, it gets really messy and confusing when you really start to go down the rabbit hole with that. But all this to say is that some people – you know, and this is part of intuition, can access those timelines and potentialities in those timelines before they occur. And then that is is seen as a prophecy. So people like, um, just top of my head, Nostradamus, I mean, Albert Einstein um, had, a, had a definite connection to that. So it doesn't necessarily mean about bringing things in, you know, that are going to happen in the future, but it might be like a new invention as well Um, or a new way of doing thing, a new uh, doing 
something that already exists here, but doing it in a, in, in a better way. Or so it, it, it's not necessarily just about like end of world stuff. It can be very helpful <laughs> to be able to access that level of intelligence um, and actualize it in the third D, in the 3D. Because a lot of us get these inspired thoughts, right? And then go, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Like, oh, I could change the world if I did that. But then we don't do anything with it. And then we forget it. And then six months later, somebody else is doing it, Joe Brown on the other side of the planet. And you're like going, oh my, that was my idea. Like, how did, what? I should have done something. Should could have, would have done something with that. So, it's not just about receiving the information or having these visions or these experiences, but it's about, I, I believe, it's about taking action. You know, how is it going to better humanity or yourself or um, change this reality uh, for, a, for, for a more positive perspective? I don't necessarily, well, I don't believe it has anything to do with religion whatsoever. Let's get to Claudia's question. She is asking, A friend and I found a medicine wheel on top of a mountain. We both closed our eyes. While my eyes were closed, I saw like a swirling cloud, went through it, and I ended up in a cave-like setting. I saw my friend across the room in this cave and saw two men talking to him. They were testing him, teasing him to correct him, not to react too quickly to things that would upset him. I knew this was for him, so I decided to leave and again saw the swirling cloud and returned and opened my eyes. When he opened Mm -hmm. his eyes, he said, who were those guys? I said, (laughs) I don't know, but I knew they were for you and left. How can Mm -hmm. two people travel to the same place and it's not from this dimension and see Mm -hmm. the same place and view the same things? Oh, easily. Well, firstly, you've stepped into a portal. So a medicine wheel set with intention is an opening to another realm. So you've literally <laughs> taken, the, you know, you've stepped in to the lift in a way, right? And then you've stepped into an alternate reality in that space. So, of course, you were seeing the same things because you were in the same reality. You were in the same dimension, time and space. That's why you were seeing the same things. So, you know, I think a lot of people dismiss the the power and um, the sacredness of things like a medicine wheel or um, particular cross-sections of ley lines or um, places of power, um, rituals that have been set up. I mean, that is... That is that is a, a dimension of time and space that has been created with a particular intention. Now, once you step into that, you are at the mercy of whomever or whatever created that um, and the intention that was put into that. I mean, I would never step into something that I did not myself create because – once you do that, I mean, I'm glad it worked out well for you, but once you do that, um, again, like I said, you're at the mercy of another being, another entity, another form of consciousness, and that may go very badly for you. <laughs> so, I would use discernment. <laughs> um, stepping into medicine wheels, I mean, generally speaking, medicine wheels are set up as, as healing space. That is a generalization. I understand that, but that is 
generally. But again, you know, you have to understand the intention and the power that was put into that. Um, like a sacred circle, etc. I mean, these are places of power. These are access. These are openings and um, portals to access other dimensional planes. And you may not like what you find there. So um, I would um, highly recommend that <laughs> you limit that practice. <laughs> Because then you're, you know, you can step into an agreement of entrapment and you don't even know what's going on, you know, and then, and then you're not, um, you're not in charge of the game. It's, it's kind of like this, this saying of you, you be aware of the game, but not be entrapped by the game. So you're aware of all the players in the game and what's going on around you, um, but you don't become entrapped by it and, and, that is what sovereignty is all about so that you are self-determined that you have your free will and choice and that you are not um entrapping anyone else or being entrapped by anyone else and by stepping into somebody's um you know intentional creation <laughs> yeah um has the potential for entrapment so i would um stay away from that if i was you wouldn't that be another way to astral travel? Is that what it would be in your... Yeah, it can be. Oh, do you mean the medicine wheel? Yeah, like that yeah. whole situation. Yep. Would that not be astral traveling? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. That whole but, thing still um, confuses me. Astral traveling? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... I, can't, I think people hear a term and then kind of use it as a blanket explanation does that you know so like psychic medium i know so many people who are psychic mediums but they don't actually know the difference between being a psychic and being a medium <laughs> you know they just recognize the term and and so they use it and i think that has happened with astral travel um to me it's kind of like a form of remote viewing in a way because you're bilocating so your what's happening is that your consciousness so you dave is actually leaving your physical body and it is visiting somebody else or another location um and then it comes back and like it gets all the information or interacts or whatever and then it comes back but it does that through the etheric cord of the the um energetic anatomy and but it is in the astral realm so that is in the lower layer or the lower level of the fourth density the fourth dimension and like i said before sometimes you know there's some pretty funky stuff that hangs out there so it it kind of really became very popular about 10 years ago everybody wanted to astral travel because they thought it was like really cool party trick kind of thing um but i again you know I've seen things go very badly for some people because they were just playing around. And, and I think you have to have the information because ignorance does not um, get you away from, you know, potentially harmful circumstances, even if you don't know what you're doing. So astral traveling is literally um, having your consciousness bilocate. So go into a different location um, and be aware of that. But you're traveling to get there. You're traveling through um, the lower level of the fourth dimension. And so, like the etheric field. And, yeah. You know, sometimes you can get lucky and, and 
go through that unscathed and sometimes not. And you can bring back attachments, entities. Um, that's generally what hangs out on that layer. And then on the higher layers, there are you know, um, all kinds of different uh, life forms that you don't necessarily want to be dealing with. Because the other thing that you have to understand is that you're then in their world. So they then have the power, right? So rather than you them coming into your world where we have the power in the third dimension because we have the physical body, we have the emotional state, we have um, the ability to uh, determine our experience. When we step into their realm, we're going to get our butts kicked. So that's why I say it's really, really important um, to have this discernment and to really understand what you're doing um, when you're interacting with different dimensions and you're developing your intuition. Would you recommend then before going into this type of situation that you should ground yourself? Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and how, how, how do you go about grounding yourself? Um, well, I have a technique that um, I've used for many years, so now I just have to intend it and it's done. But when I was first learning it, I would actually <clears throat> connect from my heart center, so from the very center of my humanity and my experience as a human being, and I would imagine that that was traveling down through my central channel and down into the earth and connecting with the very core, the very center of the earth. So the consciousness of the earth mother, I guess you could say, and really anchoring in there. And sometimes I visualize it like a ship's anchor, you know, like it's anchored in there. Like my, I am connected, bang, I am really connected down to the center of the earth like a ship's anchor. I'm not going anywhere. I know a lot of people use like a very short visualization like um, a tree roots kind of visualization where they would imagine that they were trees and their roots were just going down into the soil, into the earth, um, which is okay, but it's not going to really ground you um, if you're going to do that technique, go right down to the center because um, just like above us, it's kind of like as above, so below. So we are surrounded by the fourth dimension. In the earth plane, there is a fourth dimension as well. And so it, it's kind of like the residue of human emotions and thought forms and there can be entities there as well. So often when if you just kind of visualize yourself, your energy connecting into the top layers – of the earth, it's probably not going to feel very nice for you. So that's why I always say go right. It's kind of like heart to heart, you know, fifth density or fifth dimension, fifth dimensional heart center from me to the fifth dimensional heart center of the earth mother. And that's what has always worked for me to keep me grounded and centered. And so that is the most important ingredient <laughs> when you're doing this is like, this is the starting point. This is what you have to do. You must ground yourself first. So the grounded you are, the, the higher you can reach. Just think about it like, like a tree again, you know, we have gum trees, like eucalyptus trees in Australia, and they are called by farmers, they're called widow makers because they reach up really, really high. I mean, they can be 25 meters, 50 meters tall, but their root systems are really shallow. And so there's a big wind, 
there's a massive storm, bang, these trees just come down like crack and they're on the ground. It's the same kind of thing when you're developing yourself intuitively and spiritually. If you don't have that earthing, that connection to the physical world, you're going to get knocked on your butt the first time something happens or you know, you're probably going to feel sick, you might get headaches, you might feel totally overwhelmed. So, you know, start from the ground up is what I recommend for people, you know, start feeling your body, start connecting with the earth, start in the natural world, you know, connect with the consciousness of a tree, connect with a rock, connect with an animal first before you want to go traveling the different dimensions in the universe. You have to understand what the human experience is like first and then slowly, slowly make your way up you know, to the higher dimensions and the higher levels of your conscious awareness. Otherwise, um, you know, unfortunately, it can um, induce, you know, I've seen people in states of psychosis, um, particularly after taking hallucinogenics. Um, I've seen people who, who are very unwell after they expand themselves out, but they don't you know, they haven't really done the grounding or the earthing work first. So another really good way to do it is move your body, you know, jump up and down, um, dance. Dancing is really good to earth yourself um, or yoga, anything like that, walking outside, that will get you in your body really quickly. So um, this it doesn't have to be this high level kind of really complicated uh, technique, you know, it, it, it it's easy, it's simple, it's accessible to all of us. And that's what um, I love about this work is you don't have to be special. You don't have to be chosen. You don't have to come, you know, you don't have to be the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter or come from fifth generation medium or anything like that to be able to do this work. And in fact, when I hear kind of people coming at me like that, I'm like, oh, You've missed the point because when people position themselves like that, then it makes it inaccessible for everybody else because they think, well, I'm not the seventh daughter of a seventh daughter, so how could I possibly do what she does? But that's not what it's about. We all as human beings have access to this. This is what we are born with. Our neurology is tuned into it. Our de- it is in our DNA. Um, this is the true human nature, the true human experience to be on those higher levels of consciousness, to be able to access those higher levels of intelligence and to use them to better our lives, to better our health and to better those um, of the people around us. Earlier in the show, you kind of touched on that little voice in your head and how we all have to be a little bit more understanding of what that voice is. Why do Mm -hmm. you think a lot of people don't listen to it? And the reason why I ask is I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You like me. I'm a slow learner too. Well, (laughs) put it this way. Since I had my incident, I have paid attention ever since. I was heading up into the mountains. I had my beautiful ATV that was my baby. And my be- my wife couldn't ride with us that day because she was pregnant and a little bit too far along where she couldn't ride anymore. And my best friend was busy, who I normally ride with. So I went riding with two other 
I wouldn't call them good friends, but friends and acquaintances. And 20 minute and the entire hour and 20 minute drive up there, that little voice, which I have dubbed for me, the soul voice. Yes. Kept telling me, turn around. Today is not a good day to ride. Turn around. And it kept repeating that and it got louder and louder. And I'm like, I haven't ridden in five months. I'm going to be riding today. It's way too nice. Well, 20 minutes into my ride, I hit a washout at five miles an hour, hit a boulder that kicked my steering over. I went into the washout and my ATV came up and over top of me. I landed in the V of the washout with the ATV sitting on top of me. And then it wasn't touching me, thank goodness. But then it decided to roll down the hill about 200 feet. Right. And destroyed my ATV mm-hmm. 20 minutes in. Now, if I had paid attention to that voice, nothing would have ever happened. Yes. So why do people tune it out or have to learn the hard way rather than paying attention to it? Because the one thing I have learned from this incident is that little intuitive voice is connected to your soul. Your soul is all any human body has that is still connected to God, higher spirit, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why do people today have troubles hearing that voice and or listening to it, in your opinion? Um, because they are attached to, they are emotionally attached to the outcome of the event. So for to use your example... You were excited about going. You were like, I haven't been riding for five months. I'm, you know, I'm getting on that ATV, right? So there was an emotional attachment to it. Like you didn't want to disappoint perhaps, I don't know, I'm assuming you you didn't want to look stupid in front of the other guys. Um, You know, there was an emotional attachment to something that went on. And so that often... um, allows us to disconnect from that inner voice because we reason it. Ah, don't be ridiculous. Like, what could possibly go wrong? Like, you know. Um, and and so we do this with relationships. We do this when we're purchasing things. We're, you know, that, that voice, that I guess the ego voice or the emotional attachment to the outcome of that decision keeps us connected to moving forward. Whereas, you know, as you know, and I've had these experiences myself, obviously not exactly the same thing, but where you just come out the end of it and go, um, duh, like I knew that was going to happen. Why did I not listen? And, you know, some of us, like I said to you before, uh, some of us are strong-willed. Like some of us are slow learners and that is me and I put my hand up absolutely um, to the point where, you know, just even like a simple thing, like I'd be walking out the door and instantly my attention would go to say a set of keys, right? And I'd look at the set of keys and I'd acknowledge them like with my conscious awareness and then my intuition would say, pick up the keys and I'd argue what do I need the keys for? I don't need those keys today. Like, ugh, I don't need, I don't want to hack camp. No. And just would walk out the door, right? Without question, there would be some point in that day where I'd go, oh my God, why well, I need those keys? Why didn't I bring them? So it got to the point where 
you know, it kind of, I, I started to laugh at myself. I'm like, why do you need to be so strong-willed and not, you know, have people, even your own intuition, tell you what to do? So there's that part of it as well. And luckily, like, I can just kind of have a giggle at myself because, you know, obviously that wasn't a life-threatening situation. That was just an inconvenience. But some of us take a longer time um, because also I think, you know, we, we want the pleasure of, of whatever that outcome is going to be. So we want to see the best in people. We want to believe that they will do the right thing by us. We want to, you know, if you're having anxiety about getting on a plane, like you can reason it, oh, everybody has anxiety about flying and, you know, but then there will be moments where you just absolutely know, no, I'm not actually getting on this plane and I don't care what other people think. So that is the challenge for us, you know, to A, not become emotionally attached to the outcome and B, not be so (laughs) strong-willed and C, um, not care about the projections of others, you know, not care about looking stupid because I think that's that's really underplayed. I think it really dominates a lot of people's choices is how they perceive what other people or how other people perceive them, you know? And most of the time, other people aren't even thinking about you. They're thinking about how you're thinking about them. So it's, it's just like this whole, oh, round and round we go, you know? It's it's really can be very frustrating. And, and thank goodness that you are okay. But did you learn the lesson after that? I guess it's my question for you. Yeah. Absolutely. And, so you, and now you, you listen to it and you take heed of it. Right. Well, the funny part about it is one time when I did listen to it absolutely fluently and I try to do it all the time, I had four what I thought were best friends literally turn on me on a dime. Mm. And, you know, to this day, you know, they like it was it was, you know, masochistic. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest, they mm-hmm. literally went as far um, to contact my ex-wife saying I wasn't paying oh, enough child support. They oh, went. Lord. They went as All far. Right. They went as far as to try and get me fired from my daytime job by talking because to my boss. Because you didn't go along with what they wanted you to do. Exa- yeah, exactly. Okay. So sometimes that can be, um, again, that can be a couple of different levels to that. So they may have, and people often don't really talk about this, but I, I know that this is just the reality of it, that um, the more conscious we become, the people around us, if they have any form of attachment, like attachments, like entities or any kind of thought forms, or maybe they have interdimensional interference, God you know, who, who knows? A lot, most people are carrying around a lot of stuff that they have no awareness of. It can actually activate that. So, the more conscious we become, the more strong we become in our own energy field, it activates the negative life forms around us. And so, they will try and, they will try and annihilate us. They will try and pull us down. I have seen this time and time again where I run like, you know, diploma classes I had one class and it just kind of goes to show me the power the potential power that this particular 
these students had. In this one class, I had, you know, dogs dying, grandparents dying. One of them had to be taken to hospital from a tooth abscess, um, cars being stolen. This is all during the course of five days. And they were like, what the hell is going on? And I said, well, you know what? Sometimes when you step up and you say, yep, I'm ready and I'm going to listen to this and I'm actually going to own my power and potential, there are negative forces on the, in this world that would like to see you not succeed. And they will go to great lengths to assure, to ensure that they kind of, that you're pulled off your path in a way. And, you know, my feeling is that that's exactly what happened to you. And it's not easy. It's very distressing. Um, but, you know, when you look back at it, you know, not only, uh, I'm sure you have like a, a different perspective of it. I mean, obviously it was very upsetting for you, but did it also steal you in your resolve to, to move forward and to, to really um, listen to that inner voice, to your true self? moving forward because that's that's the that's the um thing that these negative forces don't necessarily count on is that that can it can actually make us even more resolute in our determination to um access our true potential oh true enough and you know the funny part about it is the one person she was dying to come on this show as a guest dying to come on this show and I always say, we'll see, we'll see, you know, we'll see, and never brought her on, Mm. never brought her on. It just was not conducive to what it was going on. So I think, I think it was almost like a a succubus type of anger that went Mm. along with that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, I always find it very interesting to observe the behavior of people. And sometimes when things like that happen, you know, they don't even look like themselves. You know, their eyes change, their voices change. Like you just kind of, I go, oh, wow, okay, who am I dealing with now? (laughs) Because it ain't you. (laughs) It's not the person that I thought I was dealing with. And so that can be very disconcerting for people. But I guess that's a whole entire other radio show, really, isn't it? Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Spiritual counseling by Heather Jane tonight on Spaced Out Radio. <laughs> My dear, we only have about three and a half minutes with you, and I got a question from Mario. He wants to, I want to sneak in here, and okay. he and he is asking, has your intuition or that little voice ever protected you from a situation? Has it ever saved your life? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And yes, it, it is a it is a bit of a, uh, I guess, a personal sharing, but there was definitely a situation when I was at home by myself um, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I'm, I feel okay. You know, I was just going about my day. My children were with their father, my ex-husband, and I just had this overwhelming urge like to leave, like I just kept seeing and feeling and hearing, pick up your keys, get in your car, leave the house, do it now. And I was like, oh, what? Oh, oh, oh. You know, kind of like, what What the hell? Why? Didn't get a response. I just kept seeing a particular person and I was like, okay, 
So what am I going to do? Should I stay in the house? Like this is kind of the internal dialogue I had. Should I stay in the house and potentially risk my health and well-being? Or am I going to leave? Am I actually going to listen? And I did listen to that. And as it was, I went and sat in a um, public car park for a little bit. Um, and I then came back to my home when my intuition told me that it was okay to return or, you know, um, my higher self. And there was evidence that a particular person who I was concerned about had actually um, visited my home while I was gone. So, yes, there's definitely situations in that same house. I had a, um, a break-in while I was sleeping in the house. Um, and that's a whole interesting story. I was doing working on a murder case and that's the, the only thing that they took in the house. But anyway, so I was sleeping in the house and I woke up. I got up because I thought my daughter had come home late and I walked out into the kitchen. I was like, I was calling my daughter's name. Are you here? Are you here? And there was nothing. And I knew that there was someone in the house. Like there was no question about it. I knew there was someone in the house. I came back into bed. I tried to, I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And then my next door neighbor said, Heidi, you know, I think somebody's trying to break in. And then bang, like I just went into total adrenaline mode and, you know, I was up and... (laughs) And he, actually, we had like the whole CSI police and all kinds, dusting fingerprints, whatever. But when I looked at my door, I could see his footprint on the carpet outside my bedroom door. And he was obviously standing outside my bedroom door listening to me. Now, my intuit, like the higher aspect of myself woke me up in that moment and went by me getting up and walking outside of my bedroom he moved off it must have scared him and he must have jumped back out the window and and took off so who knows what would have happened if I didn't wake up in that moment but yes there have been times those are just two that have come into my mind that yeah I did listen to it and um acted on it and um awesome now you're listening to me now (laughs) (laughs) yes that voice will always do it Heidi Jane we are about to wrap things up here. Thank you so much for being on Spaced Out Radio tonight. You are fantastic. I'm going to get you to hold on for one quick second, if you don't mind. If you're listening in on the Spaced Out Radio side, you hear Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal playing in the background. Yes, Bumblefoot is the official sound of Spaced Out Radio. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. Tomorrow night on the show, Keith McCloskey is going to join us. Yes, he is the author of two different books on the Dietlov Pass. And if you don't know what the Dietlov Pass is, 50, 60 years ago, we still don't know what killed these professional outdoor skiers and adventurers. Was it Bigfoot? Was it aliens? Or was it the government? We'll have to figure it out. That's at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time. On behalf of Heidi Jane, myself, we will see you in exactly 21 hours from now. Appreciate you taking the time to do that and join us. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Do me a favor. Tell a friend. We're getting bigger, 25,000 strong. I want 25,001. That's all I want. 25,001. Have a good night, everyone. We'll rock it on out with Mr. B right now. Take care.